Welcome to Every Album Ever with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Mansour, and I'm joined, as always, by my thrashing co-host, Alexander Volt. Say hello. Hello. This is Every Album Ever, the podcast where we listen to every single album in the world, one artist at a time. That's a whole new discography per episode, except big old giant bands and discographies like this one where we have to split it into multiple parts. And what are we talking about today? We will finally be closing the book on swans. Swan! And our third, third part. Third part. Please, if you're new here or if you're not new here, check out our previous two episodes on swans, uh, which covered every Every goddamn album, no matter how long it is, <clears throat> we love Swans here. We 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 love Swans Swans here. Uh, it's like the, it's almost like our our, uh, our lightning rod band, where me, you, and Tom are all just all right. We're on the all Swans. We're on the same page here. These are like my favorite episodes to do. It's a little sad that this is the last part, but it is. A very exciting thing. They just released a brand new album, The Beggar, which came out four days ago if, okay. as of the release of this episode. Uh, so huge thanks to, to our guy, Tom Osmond, our history guy, um, as well as Swan's PR for giving us a review copy. So it allows us to not uh, cram the album, this massive album in one or two days yep. uh, and gave us a little bit time to digest uh, that album as well as every other album from, from um, the reunion onward, which is 2010 up to now. Uh, God damn these, this is my, this is my era of swans. This is my favorite era of swans if, from a band that is one of my favorite in the world. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I've, if you've seen the other episodes, I've gushed enough about swans, your experience with this era. Yes. This is the era that got me, you know, got me into it or like, this is like what I was listening to. Um, just cause it was the most recent at the time. And uh, it is a very cool era. I think I have like a lot of feelings about the band that are like documented. I don't even know what my favorite era is anymore, but this Ooh. is, this is up there. Yeah. I, <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the middle is kind of the messiest you mean the 90s period, the Jarbo period? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's still there's still a lot of bangers. Oh yeah, there are. Oh yeah. Oh man, I we've said it on the last episode, last one's episode. No bad album, N- not a single bad album, in not only a 40 year career, literally 40 years up, uh, since the release of Filth, uh, but these they're so large the albums are so large they're so lengthy even like when they weren't long they were usually like they felt exhausting because they pummeled you into dirt mm-hmm. but these ones were averaging out two hours a pop not all of them are two hours but most of them are two hours this is a uh insane thing to do in your in your later years jura is now almost 70 i think yeah, Ooh. and he's still, and I, there's a lot I want to talk about about how these albums keep getting made, and it's from day one to now, it has never been easy. It has no. never been; easy. they've never had it set up for them. They had to fucking hustle every single album, even now they're the most successful they've ever been, playing to the biggest crowds they've ever had, uh, selling the most. Maybe not selling the most because you know records don't really sell, but uh, the most successful. And still, they have to fundraise every fucking album. That, it's insane. 
the fucking nuts to me. It's devastating. It's devastating because I I have trouble uh, naming more uh, an artist more with more artistic integrity than Michael Jira because of how much he doesn't compromise. And yeah, sure, that makes him a monster to everyone he works with. <laughs> but who cares? I mean, when when you're that uncompromising, like it has to be the best it can possibly be. And no one is paying for that. No one will pay for that. Mm -hmm. Apparently in 40 years, no one will pay for that except fans, which you have to you know, spend decades building up. Yeah. yeah you would think after even 30 years, you would think some record label would this be like, all right, we, we know what this band is. Yeah. We're going to let them do what they want. Give them a home or something. I guess but not. He made young guy records in the late nineties. And he, he, that's where he puts out uh, the, the Swan, Swans, Swans albums. Um, I don't think he puts out any other bands anymore. He used mm -hmm. to. Um, there's a handful of ones that did well in the early 2000s. But but now they, they, uh, they're signed to Mute for international releases. So at least there's some sort of like uh, balancing of responsibilities yeah. there. Uh, and And... They've always been a, like a Europe band. They've always toured Europe and always done really well in Europe and better in, in Europe relatively mm -hmm. than the U.S. And I was looking at their, their tour dates for this, for The Beggar. And I mean, it's just so much Europe. It's just yeah. so, it's like two dates in America or not, not literally, yeah. Not, yeah, not exactly two dates, but uh, at least someone out there is fucking appreciating it. And also this is jumping way ahead, but like in some places, like in, I think Czech, I want to say, and maybe Romania. I can't, I can't remember, but probably check. Uh, the fans there are extra, extra, extra dedicated because Swans went there when it was fucking illegal and it was oh, super dangerous. Right. Yeah. We covered that. Yeah. So like during, during the dark years of Swans, they, they played behind the iron curtain, which was insane and very scary and dangerous. Uh, and the fans didn't forget <laughs> they are fucking still grateful, which is actually kind of beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so where did we leave off on episode two? They broke up. Yes. After uh, soundtracks for the blind. Yes. And uh, soundtracks for the blind was like Jura's. Um, I have mountains of all these recordings. I need some closure mm -hmm. so I can get rid of all of it. So they made the album a painstaking process of, you know, piecing things together. It was very, um, very experimental and in, in like, uh, kind of cinematic, a lot of soundscapes, a lot, lot, lot more mood, not only a few song songs. And then, then he fucking chucked all the tapes, all the floppy disks, all the, everything, um, split up the band, moved on. Uh, and a little funny anecdote about making that album because they didn't have the technology. They were using like a an A track or something. Or to, so when you're doing that many layers, you got to do the layers and then bounce it to one um, stereo track and then start the process all over again. So mm -hmm. you can keep adding as many layers as you want. But they kept running out of space. So I forgot the engineer's name who was working on it with them. He said, we don't have enough space. Uh, are you done with these so we can delete them? So we can move on. Otherwise we can't. Uh, and Michael would be like, yeah, yeah. And then the next day he'd be like, where's the recording? He's like, you said to delete. And it would turn to a giant fight. And that would happen over and over and over again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what it's like working with uh, Jiro. Like he'll, he'll want something. He'll try to explain it. 
using these very colorful or not very non-musical terms, you know, get bigger, go lower or, or um, less. I don't even mean like pitch lower, just like, uh, give me more, just give me more. And it's like, what does that mean? And you just got to figure it out. Otherwise you just get screamed at, <laughs> but what comes out is amazing. Sounds like a nightmare. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. I was reading, um, the Nick Soulsby book, the, um, uh, sacrifice and transcendent, sacrifice and transcendence. And, uh, I didn't realize I figured there was a lot of nonverbal cues that Michael gave the rest of the band to kind of like, this is what I want. I didn't realize how goddamn specific they were. Uh, I think it was the bass player, Chris, who said, uh, he said it in one section and then Michael like confirmed it in a different section saying that, oh yeah, when uh, he does a certain thing with his eyebrows, he wants, means I want, uh, he wants me to do this. If he wiggles his tongue around, it means to go staccato. <laughs> and then later on, Jules, yeah, so they know that if I wiggle my tongue around, it means to go staccato. <laughs> He's, How does that mean that? <laughs> he's uh, coming up with uh, his own way of conducting. <laughs> Absolutely. He's doing like the full on Mr. Burns in the baseball team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's doing that. <laughs> yeah, so, it's like, so it's it's kind of amazing. Uh, but yeah, they broke up. Uh, his relationship with Jarbo was pretty much just crumbling. The band was everybody was very bitter and angry. And uh, this, this band was bitter and angry. No way. You know, something, some things you just can't, <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Jarbo was very optimistic about where the band was going. The band are, the, the band was playing to bigger crowds, getting more popularity, but Michael was done and he was exhausted and defeated and he felt he needed to detach from the Swans name. So we started Angels of Light, started Young God Records and continued to struggle continued mm-hmm. to struggle for the entire time. Angels of Light was it was, he had like some um some members that that were at the very final lineup of Swans like Phil Puello who he's in he's on most of these albums. Mm-hmm. He he moved on to Angels of Light with with Michael along with Christoph who's also on all these albums. Um Christoph Hahn and you know in and out other musicians and eventually that petered out. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. This is all just a precursor to the reunion. Uh, yeah. But like young guy got, um, uh, Devendra Banhart pretty popular as well as others that I'm forgetting at the moment, but they're all very hands. He, uh, Michael was hands on with all of them. He was like in the studio with them, guiding them. Um, um, Akron family is another mm-hmm. one, uh, which I was a big fan of their first album, which Michael had a very prominent hand in. I didn't realize how much he had to do with that album. I own the, uh, I wonder if I still have it or if I ditched it. I had the Akron family angels of light split. Oh, the split album. Nice. Nice. Yeah. There were, they, yeah, he toured with pretty much all the bands that he signed. Um, I mean, there were very few of them, Mm -hmm. you know, it was every time he invested in one, it was a big deal because they had no money. And it was, um, it was right around the time that, uh, downloading music became a thing. So, very quickly, they had to stop signing people because mm. no, there's literally no way to pay for it. Uh, again, very sad. But <clears throat> uh, and at a certain uh, Angels of Light show, I don't know exactly what song they were playing. I forget. But there was a moment where Michael was feeling this euphoria, this getting lost in the fucking, I don't know, the, the cosmic sonic waves of everything. And he remembered Swans and how much more that 
gave him like mm-hmm. in that he's like maybe i think it's time to i think it's time for more swans <laughs> shit so over the course of like a few years i think he was like planning it and picking the right musicians and he settled on the fucking dream team uh the dream team of of course him on guitar and vocals norman westberg longtime guitarist on guitar uh christoph hahn on lap steel Guitar as well, but mostly lab steel. Um, Phil Puello on drums and Christopher uh, Proptica on bass. And I'm uh, sorry, and Thor Harris on uh, percussion. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, apparently the, the sweetest, most big hearted man in the world, <laughs> Thor Harris. I know nothing <laughs> about that man. Uh, he's got a good look to him and he's a hell of a percussionist. Oh, I mean, he looks like a fucking. Like like Does Beowulf look like a Thor. Yeah, I mean, at least when I saw him, he was just shirtless, covered in hair, long hair, just banging these giant pipes. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty majestic. Uh, but yeah, that's the dream team, and um, that leads to the reunion in 2010. And we have a lot of insight here from our boy Tom Osman, our history guy, uh, who should all follow at all the places. He's done a lot for us, and. and even in addition to getting us the fucking album early, which was amazing. And thank you. Um, he actually interviewed uh, Michael Jira for Ninoy's magazine um, a few months ago. And that's where he got access to the album first. And he has some of those uh, snippets here for us. Some really interesting quotes from Michael. Um, he also cites the more recent book that Michael put out called the knot, which is a complete the, the not complete words for music, collected stories and journals. Um, it's a whole bunch of shit that, that Michael compiled over the 40 year history of this band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the, the reform reformation announcement letter from 2010, uh, and as well as a press release for leaving meaning from 2019. And we're going to be talking about all kinds might as well lead into the, the, the actual announcement of the reunion, because do you remember where you were? <laughs> I, I don't even know if I was like really into them yet. Do so. you knew who they were or did you not? I may, I may have not, or I didn't know they were like broken up. Mm. It was just a band whose name that may have passed. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of their current status. Gotcha. Uh, I do remember when they when they formed when they reformed and it i talked a little bit about it on i think on the last one or whatever and thinking like really oh, all right, that's cool i guess and i just kind of didn't didn't think about it that much and i assumed like most reunions that it would it'd be okay Short, at best short-lived maybe short-lived or like oh they're just it's probably going to sound a lot like the last thing they did and it's probably not gonna and I, I didn't really pay much attention to it and then i started hearing the buzz around it and then uh my brother robert he was like uh i don't know i heard it's pretty good and he didn't hear it yet and then i thought oh all right all right and then i heard it i was like oh this is not just some reunion this is a this is a new band yes this is a whole a whole thing and if you know anything about about michael jira and you've read anything about how he feels about art there's no way it was just going to be a reunion. There's mm-hmm. like no chance. The man is a psychopath. Like he was to, if he's going to bring back swans, it's going to be done right properly. Yes. So Tom notes here, he says, uh, where were you when swans reformed? Uh, I remember exactly where I was. I was behind the cash desk working in the children's department of Blackwell's bookshop, Oxford. My friend, Alex <laughs> texted me, Tom, make sure you're sitting down. I sat down next text. 
Swans have reformed. Yes, I was excited when the new lineup was announced. I'm sure I was disappointed that Jarbo wouldn't feature, but uh, would have been a lot to ask. Yes. Uh, a little bit more backstory. <clears throat> I swear to God, Alex will talk more when we talk about the albums. I just, yes. I just did a lot of homework. No, no, I knew. I knew this was coming. Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew Mike was going to do the heavy lifting. Fucking, I'm, I'm a, I've been fully knee deep immersed in Swans this past two weeks. Uh, but during... um. Like right after they broke up, and and uh, Michael started Young God Young God Records, Jarbo was still heavily involved. Like she was, she like registered the do, the domain for Young God Records, and uh, she hired the the designers to build the website. Uh, she was still answering a bunch of like emails, or she was still very heavily involved until Michael literally said, "Stop, just stop. I need, I need just no more, no more." So she, she was like effectively cut off from Swans, like. Let's we a, need to stop doing this. That's a damn shame. It is. When you think about how much she con- contributed and how great she was in the band. She's, like, oh. outside of Michael, arguably the most important, proactive so member. Important. There were a lot of moments uh, toward uh, during the last tour before they broke up. Um, I forget exactly who, who else was in the band, but I believe Christoph was there and maybe Al... Um, Al Kizzy's was, might've still been there. Ted Parsons. I, I'm sorry, but during that tour, it was getting, as it usually did, pretty aggressive. And Michael was a lot for them. And it was very tense and uncomfortable. And they, you know, they rehearsed these songs for days and days and hours, like eight hours, just one song or like one transition. So like, um, Damn, I, I want to explain too many things at once. I'll start with the the, the thing I brought up <laughs> first. So uh, they rehearsed all these things like fucking crazy. And during soundcheck before the show, Michael would start making these changes. And they're like, fuck, man, we're, ex- we're exhausted. We've been on the road for the, like we're dying here. And they were all really, really not on board. And Jarbo was finally like, nope, we're not. Nope. No more changes. We're fucking no more changes. And she actually stood up and said, no we all want to kick your ass right now mm-hmm. and actually put it like a stop to it. And it led to a fight. Sure. But it worked. And later on the whole band were like, they like left notes on her keyboard saying like, we love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, yeah. And it, what you see is a clear cut father, mother dynamic. It's like insane. <laughs> it's the most extreme father, mother dynamic. So extreme. Uh, oh my God. Uh, and one thing that they, they did that they, I, I believe they did it for most of that whole era, but they definitely do it in this era when they rehearse. It's pretty incredible because like so much of, of like the live performances, you have to, you, you have to be there to see how insane it is. But a lot of it is just one gigantic long piece of music that goes on for like two, three hours. Mm-hmm. And the way they do that is they rehearse Anybody who's been in the band, you rehearse the set. You go over little parts in in, in the set that you maybe need work. Not them. They work so hard on the transitions between songs that you do the whole set over and then you figure out where like the weak parts are and then you do the whole set all over again, fixing those little weak parts and then you just do that over and over and over and over. The whole thing from the beginning, every time. <laughs> this is, yeah, um, Equally as crazy as Sparks playing all their albums in quick succession live. It, at least that was separated by days. Like, at least like, sure. we're going to do a whole album this day. And it, like, I guess that even though it's a lot of songs to fucking remember and insanely they, impressive. They they said the issue was 
they can nail the songs, but then you get deeper into the discography and then it's like, oh shit, do you remember how to play I the older that. songs? Yep, you yeah, you can't and you don't. Yeah, yeah. You, you fucking you kick something out every time you throw something else in. We're not we're not we're we're very finite, our little brains. Uh even the, the special musician types, but so here's the yeah the the reunion letter the the message to the I actually do remember this this letter. Uh, Jero says hello there. I've decided to focus my energy on Swans once again. I'm reactivating that project. A new album is in the works. In touring will follow in the fall of 2010. There was a point a few years ago during a particular show when I was on tour with Angels of Light with Akron Family serving as the backing band. It was during the song Provider. This is basically I forgot what it was and this is. Yeah, this is the whole thing. Um, Seth's guitar was sustaining one open chord very loudly, rising to a peak, then crashing down again in a rhythm that could have been the equivalent of a deep and soulful act of copulation. <laughs> His metaphors are fucking hilarious and They're, colorful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought right then, you know, Michael, Swans wasn't so bad after all. Ha ha! It brought back in a flood of memories, uh, or maybe not memories, more tangible reimmersion in the sensation of Swan's music rushing through my body in waves, lifting me up towards what I can only assume will be my only experience of heaven. The, I fucking love the way he speaks and writes. It's fucking, it's so colorful. Uh, it's difficult and probably pointless to try to describe this experience. It's ecstatic, I suppose, a force of simultaneous self-negation and rebirth. Really, I probably only experienced this a handful of times to such an extreme extent during the entire 15-year 15 15 history of swans. When I ask myself if I believe in God, I start to say no, but then I remember that sensation, and I'm not so sure. So I want more of that before my body breaks down to such an extent that it won't be possible anymore. So I'm doing it. Oh boy. Uh, this is, I'm not going to read the, the entire fucking statement, but one big important part of it. He says, one thing I want to point out right now, this is not a reunion. It's not some dumbass nostalgia act. It is not repeating the past after five uh, angel of angel of light albums. I needed a way to move forward in a new direction. And it just so happens that rev revivifying revivifying the idea of swans is allowing me to do that. So he got he got the dream team. Uh, obviously, very meticulous how he handpicked each person over the course of a, of a while, and even guys like Christoph, who I believe at the end of the original Swans run, he said, "I will never work with Michael ever again," and he was so casually like, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it." And it was, it's, just, it's fucking wacky. There's, uh, pro there's probably a point where you're like, "I want nothing to do with that person." And then time passes and then it's like, well, I never really got to those highs very similar to what you start. My, I never got to those highs that I did in swans. Sure. Let's, uh, you start to remember the good old days. Yeah. Like, you know, we did have a good thing going there. Yeah. You can't see it when it's, it's happening, but you know, nostalgia will, will, will help you through it. It's also the thing where you, every struggling successful person looks back fondly of like their tougher years. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, and during them they were horrible, but what they made you is very is very much a beautiful thing. Uh, and I think even Norman, uh, he actually reached out to Michael first. He was he had been in uh, several bands, one of which was Heroin Sheiks, one of my favorite bands ever. Uh, and I think he lost his job, and he was like. Fuck, I don't know what to do. And he's like, "Hey, man, if you, if you have anything, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm I, I'm available." And then just so happened, uh, 
Michael was in the process of like, re, you know, reviving swans. And then a year later, he's like, all right, come on, buddy. We're, we're back in business. And uh, this, here it is. We were leads us all the way up to 2010. And well, a very wild time period in, in album and go boy. This is, we, we, we about to get into it, people. So during this whole era, it's still ongoing, of course, but we'll be covering six albums, six gigantic albums. So this is going to be a very long episode in case it wasn't obvious. One album's a reasonable length. One, <laughs> this one, this next album is a reasonable length and the rest <laughs> are not. But first one, of course, 2010, last one, fucking last week, um, 2023. So are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, yeah. So this is 2010's My Father Will Guide Me Up a Rope to the Sky. Now, for uh, those listening, this intro is three minutes. So (laughs) it's worth hearing just the the intro and then we'll, we'll cut to. Okay. Yeah. Because the intro is live. I'm talking now, so and get out of the way live this intro went on for like 10 20 minutes so three minutes is relatively light yeah but it's also a huge part of the song mm-hmm. and that's how uh warped my sense of time is where i was just like yeah the intro's not three minutes seems like a breeze at a certain point yeah. an absolute breeze It's kind of common in this era. I like the like false sense of security you get with like the bells and the chimes. You get these really beautiful percussive elements, and then you're just beaten down so quickly after. Underneath the pounding, you hear all kinds of really cool, insane drum work too. So off, like perky jerky, like you don't know where it's coming from. It's just pure chaos. God damn. All right, let's lower it and then uh, jump forward a little bit. Yeah. Like three I minutes. Did, did actually do a time stamp. Oh, nice. So. Chills, yeah, get look chills. Look at that time stamp. That's a great time stamp. Sometimes they're off, but yeah. <laughs> it's so sinister, but beautiful. See that man. raising you just feel where it's gonna drop where it's gonna get so big the drummer is an absolute workhorse in this era he's a cheese of kind of a progressive genius i love phil
seeing a breakup in real time. I think this is exactly what, what you want. It is. God, this... Oh. It still swans, but it's different. It is. It feels so much heavier, but in a just yeah, different different way. I don't want to fucking turn it down. I love this song so much. I I feel like uh, in this era, the mandolin players is there to make like all oh, the fucking dynamics here. It's a it's a lap steel, and that's Christoph. Oh, okay, lap steel, dude. Okay. Uh, seeing, so I saw them on the, the tour for the seer and I'm going to look up what year I saw them while you're reminiscing. Uh, I mean, it, it was as intense as anybody will tell you, especially at that time period. That was like the, that was actually probably the perfect time to ever see them on that tour. It was mm-hmm. like, they were so tight, but, uh, Christoph was like, right. I was like right in the front and right. And he was like right in front of me. And this motherfucker, everyone goes so hard all the time that's part of the job that's why it's such a demanding band and why everyone is is so miserable in the band because mm-hmm. michael make rips it out of you and when he says give me more he wants to see you in pain he wants to know you're giving it everything yeah so uh, i'm watching christoph go ham on this thing like uh strumming so hard and so fast to the point where his pick was dust his his pick was like I watch it go from a pick to a nub, <laughs> dust everywhere in the air. And then after he was done with the section, he just, <sighs> it looked like his hand caught on fire. That, yeah. That's how much, that's how hard they go. By the way, personal favorite. Oh, wow. This is a, I would consider this to be the best reading album ever made. Hands down. Man, I didn't, uh, I didn't come ready for that, but uh, it is, it is very good. Uh, near perfect i i would call this perfect uh obviously there are parts that are not going to be perfect for people this is still swans mm-hmm. swans is not everyone's band but this is one of the most uh honest and i would say the, the most honest and easy entry point for anyone new across yes. the board from 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 day one to now yes it's the intensity and um you know, ambient drone stuff in a condensed way that doesn't exhaust you. This is a 40 minute album. It's one of the, the rare 40 minute albums they have kind of, yes. unless you count like the early stuff, but every song is so fucking amazing and it's perfectly diverse I'll and s- nothing overseas. Welcome even a little bit. Go ahead. Also I'm such an idiot. I like, I, I saw them on the tour for this album. Oh, for this one. Holy shit. I just stuck and I had no idea they were like, re- I was just like stumbling into it. I oh, saw they were playing. I saw they were playing. Uh huh. Yeah. This. <laughs> oh man. I am very envious. Oh, that goddamn. Cause, uh, uh, dude. So what this album does that no other album in this era does is it's almost like a proof of concept album. At least mm-hmm. it, it kind of seems that way because it, it gives you a bunch of different flavors in very bite-sized format, bite-sized for them. These are still long songs, but the longest song here was the, is the intro. No words, no thoughts, which is nine minutes, which is nothing like <laughs> nine minutes is like the shortest songs on, on the other albums. It's a cakewalk. Baby. Nothing. But even that one, it's like, uh, it doesn't, 
even remotely feel that long because the intro is just basically one song and then it goes into this other part where it's a whole song and then as it keeps going on it goes into this fucking amazing acapella part it's like a very uh deep interesting song that has many many movements in, in a way but i brought that up because uh track two is reeling the liars in and mm-hmm. it is like all right we gave you this crazy intense ones switching gears fucking western acoustic male choir fucking beautiful that kind of felt like uh if for some reason you hadn't heard of swans but you knew angels alight like hey yep. this will uh yep it's like this is some middle ground here exactly it's the transition from angels alight to swans that's what this album essentially is and really really liars in like there's it's not on very many songs. That might be one of the few songs on here or the only song on here where you really get like a nice full male choir. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all the members except for, for Jira uh, doing backup vocals. And there's something that, I, that struck me in, when I first heard this album, you know, 13 years ago um, about that. It's, it's like, it felt so, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say aged because it's, like like an age like a like a like a whiskey aged because like these old men it's a male choir these old men who have seen everything just <laughs> humming along to this dark ass music it just felt so honest and like, sincere and, and real and, and gritty too because the this album is uh it sounds great but it has like the the coldest and grittiest and and dirtiest production out of everything from this whole era um I don't know exactly why it ended up coming out that way, but it has this really this raw feel to it. A little little fun fact about No Words, No Thoughts. That was I don't know if that was the third or fourth song they recorded. Uh but what happened was they so Michael assembled this whole team and they didn't even all sit in the same room together until they went to the studio mm-hmm. to start like rehearsing the stuff. And uh No Words No Thoughts was like day three or four. And Apparently in the studio, one of the pipes burst and it was just flooding the whole studio and fucking my boy Thor, he just jumps up there with a bunch of duct tapes and just saves the day, uh, which is also kind of funny. I don't know how how, it clearly wasn't that much damage, but that's a fucking all right. Goddamn. Like the the trouble never ends, I suppose. It would have been great if he had like skills and wielding and he was just up there with like a hammer and blowtorch. That's not the first time I've heard of him saving the day and like jumping in and like fixing things. He seems like a really handy guy. Uh, But the day one, the first thing they played as a band, Jim. Oh, shit. One of the best. I would say one of the best songs ever written. I fucking love this song so much. Um, yeah, it's weirdly normal for swans, but it's still very heavy. Um, it's yeah, it's one of my favorite songs on the album for sure. Absolutely. It's it's simple. It's got a very simple baseline, but it, it gives this nice, um, sludgy, brutal Western vibe to it. And, uh, it just meant the buildup on every song here. And I'm specifically that one. I mean, it builds up and it gets so fucking big and, and moving. And then at the end it, they rain it back down and then the slide guitars come in and it turns, Oh, it's just gorgeous. And it, uh, it has like a very soft landing the way that song ends. Like it, it's, it's a beautiful little kind of bell curve of a song. And, uh, I guess that's apparently that song is about, uh, JG Thurwell from fetus. Hence the name Jim. 
Oh, yeah. That's the most the most random career. Whenever his name comes up, it's just fascinating, like, dude. That guy's a fascinating dude. Um, he's kind of everywhere. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, yes, Jim is the fucking man, and the song is also the man. My birth is next, um, which is another. Ugh, they don't have very many songs. I don't think they have any songs like that one from this point forward. It's weird because it's on this album, not the their whole career, but on this album, it's probably the most like chaotic and noisy. It's pretty key. Yeah. Very herky jerky too. And then it's kind of jarring that it's over because yeah. I'm like, shouldn't that be like a minimum of 12, 12 minutes of that? You'd think so. <laughs> it's not even four minutes. It's under four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's a, it's a great little proof of concept thing. Like where here's a bite size of this weird uh, strange rhythm, herky jerky thing, pure chaos. It doesn't really have any buildup. It's just all chaos from the start. And then the, you fucking people make me sick. I'm wearing the shirt of it right now. That song. Good God almighty. It's disturbing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, they got backup vocals from, um, I believe Devenger Benhart, as well as Jira's daughter, uh, Saoirse. Um, she was like, I don't know, eight years old or something around mm-hmm. there, uh, you know, under double digits, uh, singing like um, calm response kind of vocals with Michael there. Oh, and I see uh, Mercury Rev. Mercury Rev. Yep. Grasshopper from Mercury Rev. Check out that episode. He plays mandolin on, I don't, I don't know how many songs, but several songs here, as well as the next album, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. Um, I think um, Jira's uh, ex-wife, um, Siobhan, also sang on this album i don't know where exactly maybe you fucking people as well um yeah but but that song so it's like yeah this really really pretty um it's it's a song of juxtaposed halves let's just yes. call it that first is you know acoustic melancholy very emotionally dark you get the, you know his daughter's vocals you got the the really light devenger vocals and then of course michael's deep bass and then the second half is the most horrific terrifying cacophonous thing they've ever done it's really crazy that it's kind of led by a piano of all instruments yeah too. The, i forgot how they do it they're like smacking a piano they're not yeah. playing a piano it feels like uh like you were walking on the street and someone dropped a, a baby grand piano on you exactly that it sounds like yeah and you get these rolling toms yeah that sound like apocalypse they sound like the world is ending they sound like bombs going off in airships and shit it's like it's a truly horrific sound but it's and it's also not like um it's not distorted it's not big and loud and distorted no not it, at all it's, it's just scary yes like, it would fit so well in any horror movie it's it's so good oh god i love it uh and then why i think this is such a fucking perfect album you're following that horror with inside madeline Inside Madeline. Yeah. One of their catchiest bass lines of all time, almost fucking Sabbathy. Yeah. The bit, I love the like bass and drums, the way they walk up in that song. And then it almost gets like Bowie esque. In which, which section are you talking about? Probably towards the end. When it, when it softens up. Yeah. Cause it goes to this crazy buildup where it turns into pure, pure madness. And then again, it jump, it drops off a cliff and it goes, uh, not just mellow, but like elegant and romantic sounding. Very pretty. Yeah. Specific. I guess Bowie's a very de- specifically yep. like Aladdin. Aladdin Sane. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, yeah, it's a very romantic sound. A beautiful fucking song. Incredible song. And again, pacing on this album is incredible because you follow that with Eden Prison. This picks you right back up. Right back up, dude. And it's such a great <laughs> riff. It's that main riff, I feel like sounds the most Swansea out of everything here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I can't really, I don't know why I feel that way, but there's certain songs where it's like, that's just Swansea. And I, I don't know why it feels that way. Just there's like, there's a song on the next album. That's super Swansea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just reminds me of like the early nineties period. Mm-hmm. Just, just takes me back there immediately. There's a, there's a, a level of, uh, if you will, filth, uh, to it. That's just like, that feels like home. Yeah. And, you know, uh, industrial almost and repetitive and very driving in. Because, um, yeah, this era, not too much where you think industrial. No, it, it's maybe at some point, maybe at the very end, b- bits and pieces, but overall, not really. And uh, on, on Eden Prison, I remember reading a quote years and years ago that Michael thought, because there's a big, uh, big pounding section on halfway through that just goes on for a while, maybe like uh, two minutes or so. I remember him saying that he thought it was, I think, cowardly that he didn't go on longer. Uh, so uh, during live shows, that section would go on for like 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like, all right, I get it. I get it. Uh, That's why uh, seeing live music is so important. You just get something different. And uh, it's, it's, not only that, uh, every album after this, the songs on those albums were basically m- constructed live. They started mm-hmm. out as a different song and then formed into what we have on the album. And that happens repeatedly. I'll probably point them out specifically when we get there, but the closer is little mouth, which is the closest thing to reeling the liars in mm-hmm. on the softer side. Very, um, very acoustic and dirgy kind of Western sounding. Uh, I, I feel like I need to revisit angels of light after, after this, I've only heard so little of them. Yeah. I, I, I I feel I have I it's uh, my duty as well as to to listen more to the the skin albums that he did with Jarbo. Oh, that's right. Um, which I heard a little bit from, and boy, oh boy, so goddamn cool. But yeah, Little Mouth. Um, it's like a yeah, it's a beautiful closer because it's it's again it's lulling you back down. It's it's easing it gently. It's one of the best closures from this entire era, I believe. Um, it does close acapella, which mm-hmm. is Michael singing, and that has a. A very solemn effect on the ears. <laughs> it just feels like they're. Oh, it, it felt so mature that everything about this felt like he's grown, completely grown as, yeah. a, as a man and musician. And obviously, the albums get more elaborate as we go on. But like, just coming back from you know a huge break, and then this is what we get. It's like I couldn't have begged for something better. Yeah. Uh just it's one of my favorite albums of all time. And it, it, this, when I first heard it, um. You know, I was saying that Robert told me, he's like, yeah, I hear it's pretty good. I don't know. And I heard it. I'm like, it is my favorite Swans album. It, it was immediately, <laughs> immediately, immediately my favorite Swans album. Uh, God damn, it's good. <laughs> yeah. I was just, I was thrown into the deep end where uh, I was still trying to consume neurosis. Uh-huh. And then, and then this is like, oh, you're just getting to normal with neurosis. Here's, and I'm just like, fuck this. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's like only certain songs you could put put on for someone. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of this is like, if you're at least into heavy music, you can appreciate the actual beauty and artistic value in, in most of this. Uh, 
only moments like you know you fucking people make me sick or, or like oh, okay that's that's pretty that's intense you don't put that on in front of company that's pretty yeah there there are <laughs> parts of songs you could throw in front of normal people yeah for sure and and this album at least uh most of it's pretty condensed Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one is a. You put on. You can show anyone to bring the liars in, and yeah, yeah, anyone can appreciate that. Um, so we got some notes from our boy Tommy. He says this. Uh, this album was part funded with sales of an acoustic demo album uh, Michael Jura recorded, sold with handmade packaging, which will be a recurring thing that they do. Called "I Am Not Insane." Uh, this is a model that Jura has continued with subsequent Swans albums. Um, he says, uh, for this album, I remember there were a variety of tiered purchase options where you pre-order the album. And depending on the tier, you could also get the I'm Not Insane demo album, plus a book of artwork, uh, which is the option that Tom chose, plus having your name written on the album sleeve as an executive producer. Uh, and he says, I drew the line at this payment option, but now I wish I'd forked out the money so I could have my name on a Swans album. Uh, if I remember... Well, the highest tier got you a backstage meet and greet with the whole band after a show. Uh, and he says, Oxbow is another band who uses fan funding model to support an album, uh, which they did for tw- uh, 2017's Thin Black Duke. Um, and other, band, other bands have sure done the same. And he asks us if we can think of any other examples. Not off the top of my head. No, I, ca- I cannot. I'm sure I kn- it's, it's somewhere in my brain, but. Yeah, I can't think of any other that are with this level of prestige quote unquote mm-hmm. uh because if you know swans you respect and the, respect them uh but most people don't know swans so you know what um i of course I could, that's the band i was thinking of secret cheese three like one of my favorite bands ever and another band with insane artistic integrity who makes no money because the world doesn't want a, a difficult art uh they do that a lot secret cheese three does that a lot and um I hope now they they can put out some real, like a full length at least, because Trey is making some money with Mr. Bungle again. There so hopefully go. he can finance some more Secret Chief stuff. I love them so much, and they haven't been active in a while. Uh, one of the best live shows ever. But some of the guests we have in here, like I said before, Devenger Banhart. Have you heard any of his stuff? I have not. I, for some reason, thought he was like a uh, a Father John Misty type guy and never... <laughs> I, I I see why you would think that. A lot of the a lot of the stuff um Michael signed was some of was like acoustic driven. I mean, he is acoustic driven. Mm-hmm. Um but I haven't heard him. Um I think his fifth album, Cripple Crow, according to Tom, kinda had some some pop to it. He did pretty well. No, I remember seeing this guy's name around. I was just like, I don't I I have no interest, but if I knew about the Swans connection. <laughs> Yeah, when he first started, he had only put out like maybe one album or like a demo or something. And Jura found him and he put out his second and third album, maybe more. And apparently this dude is like like so sensitive and he was really nervous and he had like really bad stage fright and he would like freak out in the middle of sets and like a really sensitive soul. Mm-hmm. And then you get Michael, who's fucking just pummeling him in the studio. Be, not just not to be mean because he is a psycho genius who's like, I need to get this emotion out of him so he can, so it can be recorded. Mm-hmm. So he would get out of him and Devendra would be like crying and stuff. And then Michael would just like change gears. He would like do something to make him laugh and just like, all right, we're done with that part. Let's, let's, let's bring the mood back. It's like the way he pulls things out of people. It's like, I can't ever imagine anybody, uh, 
I don't want to say, I can't imagine any sane person doing that. I was going to say, do you mean abuse? <laughs> abuse. It's absolute because that's really what it is. You have to like literally abuse them because you know what's going to come out is going to be amazing and you know they're going to like it and they're going to appreciate it. But in the moment, it's so uncomfortable and it's so harsh and mean. And I, I could I, never do that. I couldn't. And, and Phil Spector's like, that's why I locked Dee Dee Ramone in a closet for three days. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Wait, who was it that, that, dis, that discredited what Dee Dee said? It was another Ramone who said like, it wasn't well, that bad. I, I don't know. I just feel like Dee Dee was so out there. Like, I don't you wild man like he's so wild like why would why would he lie because his life is so crazy that is true <laughs> i don't you know it might not have been him someone um someone made the claim that they you know full specter had the gun on them and wouldn't let them leave or whatever and then one of the members said the gun was there uh but you know i didn't feel like threatening it if leave him wanted so it's like all right all well, right, we'll i think right. you know with phil specter being a murderer i uh bonafide convicted proven <laughs> i'm more inclined to believe the person who felt it's, it's a better story too honestly like you wouldn't let the ramones leave <laughs> what yeah okay we digress that's fucking hilarious uh and like we said we have a grasshopper from mercury rev uh, which is very fun. And we have a Steve Moses, who one of the funny members of Alice Donut on trombone here. Uh, Bill Weiflin, who recently died in, in 2020. Uh, he was a longtime collaborator, apparently of Al Jorgensen from, of course, ministry and revolting Cox. Uh, also, he was in King Crimson up until the day he died uh, on drums, of course. And then he was also a member of angels of light, but he plays, he had drums, piano, 12 string, um, synths, organs, a lot of stuff on here. And here's another interesting, last thing about this album, because this is already a 15 hour long episode, uh, the cover art, mm-hmm. which puzzled me for years. Uh, it's by, uh, Beatrice, uh, uh, Petitone. Um, she's a Italian visual artist based in New York and she does, she doesn't do like album art. This is like her only album credit. And I, I finally realized like, cause I looked at this cover for years. I'm like, is that a bunch of laundry detergent cocaine a galaxy what is it so it's a galaxy but it's the way she makes it is like with this weird medium and there's like water involved so she you know it's not it's not very exact but the way she does it it ends up looking like nebulas and galaxies Mm -hmm. so she had a series like that that apparently michael was a big fan of and she said i want to continue the series with this you know with this cover and i think it's a great fucking cover it's one of my favorite covers. It's red. Yeah. And I love that. I was so confused of what it was for so long that it's like, it's just a thing you just stare at for a long time. No other cover of theirs looks like that, even, even a little bit. Uh, Tom notes, he says, when I went to see Swans in uh, Leipzig on the first day of their current tour, I picked up uh, Michael Jura's collection of lyrics and journal entries called The Knot. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to include some extracts. I also found this comment in the introduction revealing. So this is from The Knot. Jira says, there are a great many journal entries in this book. For the most part, they are emphatically fiction. They're from an ongoing journal, not a diary. That's I'm, gay. I'm a man. Yeah. I'm a, boys don't have diaries. No, uh, we have journals. We have journals. My, my journals are where I often allow a disembodied fictional first person narrator to take over and unspool imagined events, diatribes, impossible scenarios, psychic auto cannibalisma and corrosive or ecstatic dreams, etc. Again, these are fiction. Uh, in acknowledgement of the constricting and microscopically judgmental and censorous times we live in, the usual uh, authorial caveats apply here. Certainly there are many 
purely anecdotal journal entries included in this book as well. And my presumption is that an intelligent reader would be able to differentiate one from the other. The confidence that he has in people being cool. <laughs> I don't know what he's alluding to. I haven't read the books. Well, we have some quotes. Uh, nothing is nothing is like, uh, you know, I murdered a guy in Wisconsin kind of thing, but probably felt it was necessary to put something like that when you're, when you're uh, divulging such dark, deep thoughts over the course of 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, dark man, dark man, intense man, but very interesting. Started off intense. Started off very intense. As a child. God, that we documented in episode one. If you're interested in this, it's a wild ride. Go check that out. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, finally, we're done with the first of the albums. This is my personal favorite. One of my favorite albums of all time. Like I said, one of the, I think the greatest reunion album ever made. Uh, It's really an easy entry point. Um, if you don't like this, I can't imagine how you would like anything else they do, but even though they do have moments like, you know, fucking white, uh, white life in the mouth of infinity where it's like, Oh, that's pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. But even that has a lot of like pounding. And I mean, this is like a, a nice blending of everything they kind of did in a nice digestible 40 minute format. This is a good, uh, baby's first swans album. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. But now we are ready for the follow-up. And we're already jumping off the deep end. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of the gigantic albums. You ready? I'm ready. Hell yes. This is two, 2012's The Seer. Um, also, I didn't realize the vinyl was different from the CD slash streaming. They all have to be, yeah, because it's so long. So uh, I listen to both, but I will be talking about the streaming. Okay, yeah. I do like the vinyl order better. Oh, it's a different order? Already such a great intro. It's so much clearer and fuller already. These sounds, I don't know where they get these sounds or what it is exactly, but it's so swans. Just these, these, these like sirens almost. It's like uh, we don't have the electronics. We're doing it all through a number of... Yeah, percussion, fucking uh, um, dulcimers and all that. vividly remember when this came out because I was on board. I was like excited waiting. I was like, yeah. here it is. Here it is. I was going to sell them a thousand times. It's just so much build up. It's very like cinematic. Yeah. I don't know uh, how much we're going to, li- or what we're going to listen to, but uh, I do like the. In the world. 
these different vocals. Oh yeah. Because it's not like a choir. It's just like, oh, this is this different people singing the same thing. Yeah. I believe Jarbo is even in there. Yes. You know, I might, she might not be in this song, but she is on this album. Yeah, she's not on this song, but. Like a little elements. Oh man, yeah, God, it's so good. This, yeah, you're not ready for like a, a whimsical synth type instrument to come in here. I don't even think it's a synth, but it, yeah, it's like a melodica or something. It, and of course, we have to put on five minutes in order to get anywhere in the song. I know that was like the quickest four minutes ever. I, <laughs> Jesus, I really thought that was like two minutes right now. I yeah, I have no sense of time right now. Because <laughs> that's what happens with with uh, a lot of their their intros and a lot of these long sections where there's. And it's why they lost a lot of members in the past because mm-hmm. the musicians just couldn't grasp the concept of uh, we're not playing it a set number of times. We're playing it until it feels right to move on. Yeah. So th- these versions are not final. This mm-hmm. is just the recorded version. Live, they can go on way longer. Sure. Like just whenever, it, just based on the energies in the room, that's when we move on to the next section. Mm-hmm. Best. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I've heard this album possibly more than any other album on in this episode yeah and uh, i've always loved it since the day it came out i knew it was, it was a very special album uh going back to it i can't believe how unbelievable these songs are like in terms of a of a two-hour album i think this is the best paced two-hour album i've ever heard uh everything does so everything does so much Everything like that whole song, Lunacy, that entire like six to eight minute song. I forget how long it is. Uh, very long. I'll find out in like two seconds. That's not even well for swans. It's short. Six minutes. Yeah. This six minute song is basically an intro to the album. It mm-hmm. feels like it's setting. It doesn't really feel like its own song. It feels like it's setting up the whole album. And then you get mother of the fucking world. Mother of the world is one of the most Oh my God. I get so many chills just thinking about how it comes in, how frantic it is immediately. It just jumps right the fuck in. It, it's so repetitive. I mean, everything they do is repetitive. Yeah. You had something, even though it's called lunacy, you had something kind of nice with lunacy. Yeah, dark, the, but nice. And then mother of the world is just going to fucking pure, bitter, twisted insanity. And it goes on until you start feeling like you're losing your mind. And it, the vocal performances are really really strange and bizarre borderline disturbing he's like going against any kind of melody just screaming randomly um really interesting uh texture he's using for his voice uh and then like five minutes five and a half minutes it slows down and quiet and quiets itself a little bit and then it gets really emotional moving with these incredible arrangements uh jira sounds fucking amazing there it's a 10 minute song that's not long enough mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god damn and then, uh, speaking of things that aren't long enough, the wolf. Is, 
It's it's not even two minutes. A minute and, and a half. Yeah. It's kind of has like this like chanting quality to it. It's it's really neat. It's a it's acoustic and vocal kind of solo transition piece, but it's like oddly hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh Michael's singing right up on the mic and it's very it's very intimate. That is it, like a a reoccurring um theme in this era where you get these moments of what feel like optimism and hope and then you just like drag back into the swamp even because even in that song it's only a minute and a half but like in the second half of the wolf it's the same thing but they just throw in fucking white noise in the second half of it and suddenly it goes from this really intimate almost western uh, kind of nice little transition piece. It gets weird and creepy again because like this white noise and behind everything, it just mm-hmm. it, everything is always just a, a hair off. Like something just one one little bit off and makes it into creepy again. Uh, and then the first of many songs over a half hour. We've covered the title track albums that are shorter than this song. So many too. So, so many. many. The the the, the, the title track. So it's 32 minutes and uh, there is a lot to unpack for some of these long songs. Yes, uh, I can do like a quick, like a quick summary. Well, not a quick summary. Right. Like, um, yeah, it's like this opening soundscape, the the white noise, the the drone, so to speak. Uh, Eventually, you're you're introduced to this like interesting like busy symbol work the percussions dude so like that intro goes on for like um four minutes maybe a little under four minutes just this big this big fucking midsummer sounding like someone is being murdered in front of me kind of sound yeah and then when when the percussion comes in it has this really cool uh, production to it where it feels distant it feels cold it feels like it's in a tunnel mm-hmm. and it has this this really menacing and foreboding kick drum uh, that it's it's fucking terrifying and then the guitars and bass ease their way in really really subtly and with just the meanest fucking riff like so bitter and mean and angry and it it just fucking rips i i think before it gets angry maybe it's a long song i tried my best to do this um there's like this like plucking thing that's what i'm talking about oh, okay because it feels so sinister like yeah, yeah. it's quiet it's not like huge and big but it, it kind of it slowly uh, bleeds in there very similar to uh the last album when we talked about like yeah it's this a piano and and like Tom drums. Yeah. There's not really like distortion or you don't need it. Anything yeah. ugly, but it, it's able to convoke this like heaviness. Um as it goes on, the first big section um where the the vocals are, are repeating, I see it all, uh, with this distorted droning in the background. Horror level. It's straight horror level. It's so dude, good. Dude, that was that was crazy because it made me think of like um like a like massive attack like uh-huh. like when massive attack goes dark i'm like i could like i could see them doing something similar to this this section of the song. interesting specifically interesting. that section because right. it's a big I song see it all, i see it all i see it all it's so fucking it is cool like i think like a like a cool like dark dj could like 
take that and, oh, and yeah, do loop, something, loop that. Yeah, that something one. neat with it. Yeah. Uh, around 11 minutes 40, things explode and it feels I fucking also, amazing. <laughs> I also have that time. So. Yep. Uh, an extremely lengthy pounding section follows, and then a lot of ambience follows that. Yeah, I use der- deranged after. Dude, it, yeah. so we're like we're jumping through a lot of these sections, but like there's huge moments of just endless pounding, mm-hmm. and then huge moments of creepy ambience, um, mood setting, where it's just slowly morphing into the next section, which is, you know, there's basically three or four big sections in this one song, but they all like, it's the transitions that really make the song. The, it, f- the final section comes in at around 2750 mm-hmm. and incredible. It's one of the best riffs they've ever done. East, like almost Eastern sounding. Yeah. And there, there were like middle Eastern sounding riffs yeah. before this. So it's not like, Completely jarring. The only thing that that separates this one is that it's it's way less um, evil and dark, mm-hmm. and way more like kind of cool and dark. Kind of mm-hmm. way more like like you kind of want to bob your head to it. It's way more like groovy and interesting. Um, also, uh, Michael sounds just like uh, Daimo Suzuki on that on that last section. I wrote that for other songs. That's but fascinating. Check out the can episode. I mean, there should be a second part coming soon. But um, yeah, there's this like genres of music that i was not expecting him to tap into like i would i would love to uh add a time machine i'm not doing anything noble i'm just going to the 80s to tell a a swans fan that eventually they will dabble in psychedelia (laughs) oh yeah yes absolutely they they definitely will so much on this not here exactly but they will uh one thing uh, interesting about this song that will apply to later songs. Apparently, this song, the title track, was born out of the intro, the the intro of their live version of uh, "I Crawled." I believe it's "I Crawled." Oh, that's f- so like them playing old songs live and just that's doing kind of what a they bridge into the future. Exactly, they they just do what they do. They Michael does what he does. He conducts them, and the the songs just take a new life, and it just becomes. A 32-minute song that's completely different. Completely different. I can't even recognize the I Crawled in, in this so much. Um, at least I believe it's I Crawled. I hope I'm not misremembering. But if it's not I Crawled, it's one of the, you know, uh, Raping a Slave, Young God era, you know, that, songs. That sort of thing. Yeah. And on this tour, um, I saw them play Coward and it made me cry. It was the first, <laughs> first show to ever make me cry and I couldn't believe I was seeing it. Uh, very visceral and powerful and painful. Uh, so that's like... Uh, you think that'd be the end of side one, but it's fucking not. Uh, side well, one has a well, lot more disc, left. Disc. Disc one, one whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, following that, we got the Seer Returns, which has Jarbo's vocals on it. I uh, could very much hear them in the background, too. I love this song so much. Especially, so fucking good. Yeah, especially after, you know, a big epic song. This is like kind of funky. Yeah. And there's creepy vocals, of course. It's. It's kind of like Nick Cave and the Volta had a baby. Interesting, because yeah. that's one of the songs where I think Swansea as fuck. Yeah. When I think of, I, I, not just because Jarpo is on there, but just that style of rhythm, the extreme repetition, the almost industrial nature to it, mm-hmm. uh, and then the grooviness. I, I just think of like the '90s era. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, th- I think because. 
Jira's vocals are different where like I was this era I thought of, you know, guys like Lou Reed and Nick Cave. And- mm-hmm. Following that, we got 93rd Avenue, 93 Avenue Blues, and that is not much a song as it is pure horror cacophony <laughs> with disturbing droning vocals. It is the screechiest horns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you thought that was the most offensive part of the song, then it just goes into like brutal, unrelenting noise to close it out. It is the least song on here. <laughs> the least song. Yeah. And <laughs> if there was anything I can like point out, like, all right, th- this is not the best because of this. It would be that track. But once this is the thing about an album like this, where it's this long and it's this intense, you have to submit from the beginning. If you go in with any, and it's, uh, I, I feel like this way, I feel this way about a lot of lengthy albums. I felt this way the first time I heard um, Lift Your Skinny Fists Up to Heaven, mm-hmm. you know, from Godspeed, where if you're not fully committed from the onset, you're not going to get anything out of it. You have to put yourself in this world. Yeah, you can't. Um, these aren't albums to have on in the background unless you're familiar with them. Yeah. Like you need to like just sit and listen and not do anything else. Yeah. Even like in darkness would be actually a very good way. Preferable. Yeah. But so when you're in the world of the seer, that 93rd Avenue blues is just a part of the, the, it's just the scary part of the journey. It's not really Mm -hmm. like, I don't dislike it at all. I actually quite like it, but I'm not going to put it on by itself ever. Yeah. That would be psychopathy. (laughs) But uh, the final track on disc one is a daughter brings the water another brief one two minutes 40 seconds i i will say even when they're doing shorter songs they still manage to add an, a good amount of like nice layers to it it's not filler you don't they, none of these feel like filler in any way shape or form uh daughter brings the water is very gentle it's morbid but it, it's like it's morbid with beauty sprinkled in mm-hmm. and i think it's a really good pacer track like I mean, like when I say this is like the best paced two hour album, I really, cause you're following horror with this, like, it's not super happy. It's just mm-hmm. enough levity to kind of like pull you, you out of the darkness. Like just, all right, come back, come back. Just bring you back a little bit before moving on. And where do we move on to Alex? Uh, I hadn't listened to this album in a while. Uh, song for warrior. I was like, "There's no way that's Karen O." It sure is. It pulls you out of the dark. Brings the water. Pulls you out of the darkness. And song for a warrior brings you into the light. Yes, beautiful. It, it's full on gorgeous and happy. Well, yeah, not happy, it, but like it's very like beautiful and dreamy. It works in some of the southern twangy guitars. Yep. Um, I I thought it was just going to be like all Karen O, but like Michael jumps in for a little bit at the end. Very, very strong um, outro section. It's a it's a good way to start disc two. Definitely. And uh, I actually never even realized it was Karen O until like now <laughs> or until yeah, like- I. Yeah, I don't know, because I've like been a Yaya Yaz fan longer than I've been a swans fan probably so and i've never been a yaya's fan so i didn't even know it was her when i first heard the album many times uh but she sounds great on there very fitting the entire thing is very fitting it has that twanginess to it and it's not like happy it's it's just more hopeful and Mm -hmm. and beautiful so it's not like 
uh, we're pulling you out of this crazy evil darkness shit, and now we're now we're happy. It's just no. It's just now we're showing you a little bit more of the sunshine and just relax a little bit. I think she like doesn't get enough credit for her range, and I think um, I read like something briefly like that's why she was on here like he he didn't realize she could like do that and he's like oh wait that'd be like really cool to he finds a thing in a person and then he just he find he, he waters it basically until it turns into this thing that he can you know fit into whatever he's doing that's why he like he's so uh meticulous when he picks the people for the the guest people for, the, mm-hmm. for these albums and like on the surface you kind of i think it's easy to dismiss any kind of guest appearances on albums uh but now after like reading so much about it like oh he really thought about each person yeah a lot uh, and even with uh the studio people like the people playing the trombone and some of the other horns the things that he made them do like on the album like or, or even during the tracking session they're just doing one note but they're doing one note for several minutes straight. Mm-hmm. And a thing like a trombone, that's hard Ex- to do. Exhausting. Exhausting. Like where they were forced to take breaks, not by, they had to like, um, it wasn't Michael's idea for them to take breaks. They had to like, like we need breaks because we need blood back in our lips. Like we need breaks. <laughs> but uh, one guy, he might've been the trombone player. He's saying, yeah, all you guys go in was this, um, to hit this hold on this one note for extremely long time and then um it was an easy note it's like a you know entry level beginner trombone it's like a simple note but the repetition we couldn't do it like we Mm -hmm. were struggling and um he was saying that him and the other the other home player were like laughing like we're these professionals and we can't even do this basic thing because of how much Michael's demanding like yeah that's how and he pushes you that far and then the notes are starting starting to come out like rough and, and shitty and kind of messed up and he's like perfect it's exactly perfect it could, it's just this quality you can't get some virtuoso and have them do it and then it'll it'll be what it what it is mm-hmm. it's like it's a certain uh unknown quality like like uh if you're gonna it's almost like an anime like the the inner fucking strength thing that you have to have some some crazy old magician pull out of you it's just some old man who wears a turtle shell on his back yeah yeah to, to tap into this this <laughs> inner strength it's and again it's it doesn't it's nothing that you could like practice for mm-hmm. unless you literally just hung around for several years playing one note for a long time it's just a certain thing like you have to push it so hard that you, what you're recognizing as playing music isn't even the same thing anymore. Like you're in this other ethereal spacey state where uh, almost like you're on drugs in, in a weird way, like where you completely lose everything and you're just doing this thing and it becomes something else. I don't want to list some like pseudoscience bullshit, but I, I think there are, are things where they've done studies where it's like doing repetition and chanting yep and people who pray do reach those like same levels the zen people, flow states and zen stuff that people on drugs yeah get. It, it yeah and it's uh it's not easy to get there drugs no. are a lot faster yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah but it's, it is it is very real and it's especially if you see them live and if you if you've seen them live and you've really got absorbed into it like the they play louder than most bands in the world and that's led to a lot of hearing problems and busted equipment but with without ear protection these volumes 
reach a certain frequency where it like it just fucking it flicks a switch and it transports <laughs> you somewhere. It, it really changes like your brain, brain chemistry for yeah. the time being. It's really it's like ma- it's actual magic. I I will say it's it's more primal and caveman like, but uh, yeah, I would argue that like sun and sleep also do similar things. The, just becoming absorbed and mesmerized in it, and just l- completely losing yourself. It's not easy to do, but that's that's why he resurrected swans, like to completely lose yourself in this performance. It's fucking gorgeous. You know who else likes to lose himself? Eminem. He sure does. <laughs> Avatars, Avatar, one of my favorite songs. Build it up, kind of um, based around these really prominent church bells. Fucking and very cool. I I will say, uh, it's very cool. Like in knowing that the bells are like part of the live performance. They too. are. I was uh, out of that that because I've only seen them the one time. Uh, Avatar is, is sticks in my head. Um the most mm-hmm. aside from, from when they played coward avatar is the one that really sticks with me that they played because they're like oh this is perfect like they did it perfectly like i i can't tell you what songs i saw i can just tell you it was an experience that that's actually um one of the things that the all the band members apparently have in common yeah when after a show after every show that they do there is nothing in their head anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, you know, you, when you go to a show, sometimes you'll have one song stuck in your head or yeah. like something will stick with you. They they play the music out of their head. Yeah. They play it so much that like literally it's completely blank, which is very interesting. The, the entire experience is just gone almost. Um Avatar, I I love I love the build and then the last 50 seconds. Um Oh yeah, when the 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 snare rolls come in, like the last yeah last fifty seconds is I've never said this about a song, and I don't know if I will, but like it's like coming, <laughs> like the release is that good, the release is that good, <laughs> it is, it fucking is. That's amazing. God damn it, it's a it's a great song. I'll give you that. <laughs> you know. Unless we're doing like uh, Tim Buckley or, or Two Life Crew, oh like, yeah, I don't like to go there too much. Yeah, but don't want to get it, vulgar with with art. <laughs> well, Swans is, is but is whatever, very, yeah. whatever. I you, you won't really hear me say that about another song. Though. High praise, dude. Yeah. High praise. Fuck yeah. Uh, Peace of the Sky is another difficult one. It's nineteen minutes. I think that's some of my like favorite ambient white noise stuff on the album dude in in a piece of the sky so it's it's a song of another song of two halves like the first uh nine minutes is this ambient stuff and it is it is horror choirs they they, mm-hmm. they really do fit in with some of the most disturbing imagery you could imagine mm-hmm. uh both jarbo and akron family are on that song i yeah i felt like someone was gonna get sacrificed in my living room listening yep. to it it's exactly how it feels and, and nine minutes is a long time to feel that way <laughs> i will i will relent at least that much that's a whole, that's a big chunk to to have that much intensity mm-hmm. but then the final 10 minutes or so around 10 minutes is one of the most incredible things in the album it's uh you know the full band comes back in it becomes a song again it's it's, it's, all, it's very jarring to, it, it is yeah. it, it feels it might as well be a second a separate track for the way it comes in but it is 
it's a, it's a riff that travels. It's a riff that seems to never end. Mm-hmm. It just keeps going and going, but it's beautiful and it's moving and it's very, uh, not majestic. It's more like, um, it feels like a, like a battle. The, the, the actual riff feels like a battle that kind of keeps moving. It feels like you're going into war. That's how, um, kind of dramatic it is. Uh, and it has this very, uh, very easy to, to grab onto, um, heavy four, four beat to it. It's, it's like, it's nothing inaccessible about it. It's just intense and, and powerful. Um, and I, I found that whole section to be spectacular and worth the, the trudging through horror to get to it. Mm-hmm. Cause you do have to, to sit through some shit to get to it. It also made me like question, like, is that, a a Dulcimer is that a mandolin yeah and then i was like i'm i'm gonna give up and just call everything gondola gondola the various gondola guitars there's so many yeah they all sound great i'm, I'm sure it's both mandolins and uh dulcimer well i think dulcimer is more prominent because uh phil plays that mm-hmm. and i think only grasshopper plays mandolin on the cell okay if, if i i think um the closer is apostate which is of course 23 minutes and it is, I think, the best closer slash closing section in this entire era. I <laughs> I kind of like it um more as the second track. Oh oh it's a it's a second track on the, the LP. Yeah, because it's just like I don't know, the like theme of lunacy, and then here's it, like a 20-minute song. Dude, it does go into some this song does have some pretty batshit moments with a, a lot of energy too. Like oh, the, for sure. The 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 full final song section, which comes around 1320. Mm-hmm. Really fast, really percussive and rhythmic. And even I even love the vocals. Uh uh, Michael's doing this twangy, high kind of whiny thing, where he's just kind of sh- he's shouting, but with a, a high twang to it, mm-hmm. and it, it sounds very interesting because his voice is naturally so deep, and uh, it goes on for a good while. Really great, fucking killer section, but the way it revs down, I think, is masterful. Mm-hmm. It takes it, it's so patient how how it revs down. Um, it kind of goes on for a long time, just slowly, slowly lowering and lowering and lowering, and then an onslaught of fucking toms comes in just pure chaos they do they do the thing live bands do where it's just like or the melvins do at the beginning of the song of course they do it in the middle of a song the thing is no it ends with that that fucking um actually uh liturgy does it in the middle of the song oh yeah they fucking do in the middle of the song but (laughs) uh the onslaught of toms it's pure toms uh, but it's, it's it's how the song ends. It's just this giant wall of crazy toms, and then boom, and it stops. And it's like no other song in this entire era, maybe except for Little Mouth on on uh, the last album. None of them end with that much finality and that much like fuck. I just went through hell and I, I made it. Yeah, like this one really feels like you made it through this journey of an album. I love that these songs are like so massive that like you could walk away with something different than I did because. Um, this made me think a lot of Demo Suzuki. And, oh, this one. And can. I, I get it. Uh, yeah. Um, like there are like kraut rock elements to it. It does also get groovy. I don't know if there's congos. There is so many instruments on yeah. here. It's like it's almost futile to try and list them all. Um, and yeah, you get like noisy saxophones too. Lot, so. 
dude, the, the horns and woodwinds, I think there's clarinet on here too, that I believe Thor might play. I forget. Uh, yeah, there's just so, so many things in a lot of what I've heard people or read people say about the recording process is like, Michael's just this dude who's trying to relay all this really abstract information. And then he'll be like, it needs this instrument and he'll just throw it some random instrument. <laughs> but then you hear how it all comes together. It's like, uh, kind of like how the Phil Spector wall of noise thing where it's like, yeah, you have a million instruments playing the same thing, but it creates a whole new sound from all those layers. It's in a way like that, except these are all live. <laughs> it, it all feels very acoustic and live. So unless you know how to play the fucking theremin, get the fuck out. <laughs> He's got a point. <laughs> that was basically Michael Jura. Dude. Uh, man. I, I, fuck, so much time spending on these albums, but that's just the way it is when the album is two fucking hours long. Um, I wanted to talk about it at the beginning, but uh, we just got carried away. The, the album artwork is like... Uh, oh. This this like little wolf thing, and yeah. I, I guess it's Michael's teeth. Yeah, it's his teeth. So strange cover man so if that's his teeth on the back well at least in the vinyl i don't know about the cd the dog's butthole is there that's i hope it's his butthole i hope it's his that'd be that'd be, that'd be good stuff teeth and butthole so this is like the big this album is the first of like the trilogy quote unquote um with with the next two albums being the other the other two entries and the there's like a sh- uh, a common theme in packaging and uh like the cover art has similar you know just a style to it he he tends to do that he did that with like love of life and white mount uh, sorry white light mm-hmm. he did that with the early you know filth and cop and stuff where his you know very similar aesthetics per album it's kind of like an era thing it's like it's almost like the signifying of an era is when they all start to look similar but this album art is so strange and i it's th- it's beautifully done i think it's an incredible painting i i feel like it kind of encapsulates some of the vibes here where you're like that thing could be cute but it probably has rabies yeah even even though those teeth are very human yeah <laughs> it's just a a strange concept like why How, what, what made you think of a dog with human teeth that's <laughs> like, a, gr- a great album cover it is and some of the, the albums later are, are just as bizarre but like this is this one's pretty unique, and I think it's a. I think this one's my favorite. Oh yeah, ser- yeah. M- my father is my is still my my favorite. Yeah, just because of the abstract nature of it. But this one, uh, I think this also. If you're just looking at the cover, I don't think many people can uh, appreciate how difficult it is to paint something like that. All the like lighting and the, darkness. It, it's and- so dark, and and the way the fur looks that real, and it's it's really hard to do dark paintings and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's, it's a really, and especially with something that <laughs> just, it's pulled out of a dream. It looks like it's pulled out of a dream. It's very strange. It's kind of night. I mean, it's a dog with human teeth. It's, it's nightmare fuel, but still kind of cute. Very yeah. strange. Uh, Cause so, it's not a normal wolf. It's a certain kind of like adorable looking wolf. Yeah. Yeah. It looks almost like a, uh, those little, those little um, teapot, dogs a little fucking, bit yeah. yeah um so this album like the one before it and all the ones after it, it was part funded by sales of a limited edition album uh this time a live double album uh we rose from your bed with the sun in our head which was limited limited to a, a thousand copies i remember that that's a that's a great cover of that one. Oh yeah um also kind of 
dark and yep dark and, and very very um i don't know just unsettling in many ways uh bill riflin also guests on this one uh, he's credited as an honorary swan um he plays a bunch of shit on here um who else do we have on here? We have uh, Alan Spar- Sparhawk and me Parker, who both co-founded Low. Um, and me Parker died last year. Mm. Um, they're the ones singing on Lunacy. Okay. Uh, Jarbo is on here, of course. Um, Tom notes, he says, from what I remember of a recent interview, she was sent tracks to record her parts to, which she did and then sent back. She didn't sing with the band, although she did subsequently guest with Swans on stage, possibly just the one show, but I don't remember. I, yeah, that was uh, brought up in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, where, does the, where does the body end, I believe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, where she, um, she played one show with them, and that was a, kind of like a big, nice closure thing for them. Um, I, I didn't realize that she wasn't in the studio for, for these songs though. Um, Grasshopper, of course, Mercury Rev. Um, he plays apparently fire sounds on a piece of the sky. Okay. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Uh, and then, yeah, we got bagpipes, horns, steel cello, um, accordion, violin, all stuff that you can't really pick out. Mm, or maybe you can, if you know, it's there, but not, yeah, not just like, Oh, Hey, is that, uh, yeah, exactly. It's more of like a, a in a sea of all these instruments. Um, yeah, uh, Jane Scarp. Wait, hold on, Scarp and Tony, who's a classically trained cello player, who's apparently credits include fucking Beastie Boys. Check out that episode. Shell Crow, Helmet, Bob Mould. Check out who's gonna do Lou Reed throwing muses and Ween on cello. I mean, I can't think of a more eclectic selection of bands. I guess we have to do a Cheryl Crow episode now. Cheryl Crow <laughs> and a helmet? I mean, helmet. I feel like that's a given. It'll probably happen. But oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> Cheryl Crow, fuck it, man. Why not? Uh, oh, so Simon Henwood did the the Upmart, and they've also done art uh, for Barry Adamson, uh, Roshan Murphy, Rihanna, Alicia Keys. I wasn't expecting those last two names. Nor was I. That's some interesting overlap. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, no shit. Uh, but yeah, so this is a well-regarded album. It is a very incredible album. I think it's their best. I mean, holy shit. If you're willing to take the plunge into Swans, you have to. You have to come here. You have to. I, it's I. It's this very weird. Like I love it, but it's very weird doing this podcast. And then like, yeah, I want to give it an accolade, but like, there's there's so much. That's the thing. Like, I love every album that we're going to be talking about, or that we have already talked about. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've already given up my two best things, but I love every album here. My worst is just worse because you know it's the game we play here. Uh, there is so much to pull from each of these albums. You really can go any kind of way. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is time to finally, finally move on. It is time. Boy. Oh boy. So here we go. Here we go. <laughs> it's just so exhausting. We've been at this for so long. Here we go. Everybody 2014's to be kind. such an unexpected riff for this band. I didn't find it to be unexpected, but I do think it is one of the best openers in their entire discography. Oh, I love that bass. 
bass drum sound so much. Oh my god. Oh. I love this the drum sound in general. It's so haunting. Yeah, I remember hearing this for the first time and I was like, I love Ohm, so you're not going to be turned off by any song lengths here either. No, not that like Ohm has a a market on this type of sound. Right. That's just like my, my home bass. Mm-hmm. Heavy bass, heavy drums. Middle Eastern sound yep. stuff. Also, as a drummer, I always like hated... I don't the little like mesh part. Oh, you mean this, the actual snare? The snare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this like I don't like the way it sounds. So I would never like be in the studio like, oh, let me turn that off. But you can get some very cool sounds without it. Yes, which is yeah, why I don't play it. <laughs> And yeah, it's like he's turning into like Lou Reed and like Iggy Pop, but it's still, it's still him. Still him. He gets very experimental with vocals on this album, more so than before. So the the beauty and genius of Swans is how they develop on one idea. Mm-hmm. So this song, this bass line is basically doing the same thing in the entire song, but as things grow, as other layers pop in, it just becomes something else by the end of it. I was like, I was like, can you, can you put this on in a yoga class? Uh, at the end, you cannot. You definitely cannot. It's <laughs> dangerously close to being able to, though. Yeah, for a while. This one might be a little on the fast side for yoga, but a couple of these other songs fit right in. I I don't know. I think if you're doing like a if you're a yoga nerd and you, you're no doing like a power 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 yoga power yoga. Okay, so it grows and develops over the course of eight minutes. Best personal favorite. I knew it. I had a feeling. This is one hell of an album. I That is for sure. It did make me like question some things because on the Volta episode, I, I love Francis the Mute and I love like the soundscapes and the dicking around. Um, So I, I almost went seer, but I'm just like, uh, very much the way you feel about Seer. I'm just like start to finish, not an not an ounce of wasted wasted space here. So parts, I think the highs here are fucking so hard to to top in the entire discography. The highs here are fucking ink. So the first three songs alone. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. So we've heard a whole chunk of screenshot there. And then following that is just a little boy, which dude, I mean, super slow, super heavy, fucking almost blues. It's yeah, it's more subdued and a little bit more dreamy. 
Which um, is still so heavy. Oh, no, 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 no. This is still swans, and he has to remind you it's a nightmare. And, like, when they start saying, oh, I'm I'm just a little boy, and there's, like, there's like laughter. I'm like, that's yeah. a fucking nightmare. It is, it cre- is a nightmare. Dude, some of Jira's vocalizing here it sounds like an old Chinese man. Yeah. It's in, like, some of the stuff he's doing is just, it's completely unhinged. Uh, but that bass is... The deepest, lowest, heaviest bass I've, I think I can kind of think of in any Swans album, mm-hmm. where it's 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 almost like you could feel your spirit rumbling every time it hits. Uh, very, it's extremely moody, and it, the, the atmosphere in it is just so so dark. But it's not like depressing dark. It's just there's just a lot of space in it. You yeah. feel like you're in a cavern listening to this. Yes. Um, Around nine fifty, it goes through the first loud distorted change. I mean, the song is twelve and a half minutes and takes almost like ten minutes to go through the first change. So that's what we're dealing with. Sometimes the this the final two minutes, it's like that's it. Yep, it's it, it flies by. It, it's it's got such a different character than the opener. It, it's you know it's the same band because the the intensity, but it's a different thing entirely it's beautiful it's a perfect second track and then you get yet another perfect follow-up which is a little god in my hands again it's you know like, it's swans but it's just a different face of it it's like trash funk music four four driving catchy as shit it's really hard not to move to that song it's like you i don't know anybody who enjoys you know rock instruments in wouldn't find that to be very addictive that song at least the first you know chunk of it it's also like interesting because it doesn't even take that long to do something unexpected or about like two minutes in i i don't know what string guitar like instrument it is the, but that, that string the guitar layer right it's such a brilliant 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 choice like it feels so good when that comes in dude the, i'm telling you man it's just one musical idea and the layers shape it and contort it and, and turn it into something just absolutely unbelievable. That little guitar line mm-hmm. fucking opens everything up. It does. It's so good. I can't believe how good it is. And then the vocals are very odd, very distinct. Every, so far in the first three songs alone, he's doing very different vocal approaches on, uh, on that track. It's very bendy. Um, he tends to do a lot of stuff like that where he'll kind of, it, very siren like very bendy a lot of whales um very nasally too a lot of a lot of nasally stuff it, it very unusual stuff like you hear these these bass lines and these these bass layers and you think like what kind of vocals could go on that and he does something way off that you're never gonna mm-hmm. never gonna call uh and then much like track four of the seer we have bring the sun slash to to send uh leverature it's in french whatever um 34 minutes First of all, it's a 34. That song comes out the gate hard. Opens with intense and extremely repetitive pounding. I mean, it com- yeah, it comes out swinging. Uh, but, you know, eventually we get some like gentle sitars and yep. flang- settles in flanger affected vocals. Um, yeah, his wailing into the ether. It really f- feels great. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of settles on that after a while. If you like uh, like a Black Sabbath Planet Caravan, you know, kind of in the same vein. Not quite as uh, nice and pretty as that. No, no, no. But no. still in the same kind of 
you know are like uh led zeppelin's no quarter kind of like those. there there is one song later on where it's like oh that's just no quarter I, yeah. i'm just tired there's, <laughs> there's a, definitely a lot of that that kind of uh building of of the the scene so to speak uh um it take it, it slowly builds things back up but it, i mean it really it, obviously takes time it takes like eight minutes to get back yeah it's it's like if like again, like I said with the last one, if you're on board with it, 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 it you know, kind of changes the 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 perspective of it. But if let's just say you're on board and you're into the you're into this and you you decided to take the plunge, uh, when you're on on that eight minute little moment where it's kind of building back up, it feels like you're on a ride with them. It, it mm-hmm. definitely feels like you're you're taking a tour of something um, because you have to again, you have to submit, you have to relent, you have to just go with whatever energy and whatever pace that they want to go. And because of that, sure. The song is 34 minutes, but nothing ever feels rushed. Nothing ever feels like it comes in like, um, awkwardly or clumsily or repetitive. Even if it is repetitive, it never feels like it's extremely repetitive, repetitious, but it doesn't feel like it's like, okay, dude, I get it. Move on. I've been here. Yeah. I've been here before. It never feels like that. And that's all, stemming from the same thing of we'll move on when it feels right. I, I will say his like v- his range of vocals on this song is like you get you get everything. You get like the hypnotic chanting yep. stuff. You get screaming. It's his screaming here is pretty bad. It's pretty bad shit. Yeah, I do want to note around 16 minutes and I thought we were going on a nice little like acid trip through the desert. Yeah. And then that is very rudely interrupted by what sounds like a handsaw and we also get the horses whinnying and galloping yeah like uh, much like uh just a little boy whenever you think you're in a dream he needs to remind you that this is a nightmare yeah don't worry it's a bad dream yes uh, i think with the horses he had a uh what he wanted was the sound of, of horses kind of galloping and winning going into battle that kind of a really that roar mm-hmm. so they were going to bring horses in the studio to do that. And then they, they learned that the only way to get that sound out of a horse is to legitimately piss it off. And you don't want to do that in a studio with a bunch of <laughs> equipment. I think you should. <laughs> Maybe if you're, yeah, if you get the fucking budget to cover, <laughs> but so because of that, they decided to, to go out to, you know, farm or whatever the fuck and take you know field mics with them and i think one one of the the handlers almost got kicked in the, in the head by one of the oh, horses d- during that uh which all right all right well he didn't though it's okay he's alive but yeah that's the the dedication i suppose but so that song i mean a lot of sections but i think around 2050 is when like the big distinguishable jiro losing his fucking mind screaming also it's like there's um like whistles and not like whistling out of your like those referee oh like yeah whistles yeah uh it's so it's yes it's experimental and it's intense and it's a lot but it it is very uh it's it's psychedelic in a way that's not the genre psychedelic no yeah it's like a spiritual experience uh Jira screaming. I mean, it sounds otherworldly because he doesn't really sound like that. He has apparently a wide range of screams, mm-hmm. and this one he sounds like a fucking like an evil wizard. It's it's really strange. 
towards the end, he really likes rolling his R's in this song. Well, yeah, I think it's because he's speaking. Um, well, he's saying the thing in French, which yeah. isn't a rolling R, but I don't know. Maybe they, get rolled. They, they get, get rolled. They get rolled. They motherfucking get rolled. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's an intense and very taxing song. Uh, but my only problem with it is that it, uh, it didn't give me any of the same hair raising moments the way the seer did the way that title track did like every time we'd go to a new section it'd be this like oh that's such a great riff and it would just develop on that for another five ten minutes uh, i just didn't like this the the what they call them they call them like um music islands mm-hmm. they call it when they when they refer to these big songs they're like they're like big um balls of sound separated by islands of music mm-hmm. which is i think is a nice way to put it so the islands of music on this track didn't didn't strike me as much as on the last album it was this like an apples and oranges thing pretty much where, yeah uh you know there's this two they're different islands different islands yep uh following that we have some things we do which is the first track i didn't love on all these albums um like you know going in order um because it's more arty than musical it's more like a it feels more like a mood piece than anything but a mood piece that lasts five minutes I really like it. It's uh, explain to me. It's unsettling and evil. Um, and I just kind of like needed that after the the like psychedelic journey. Not that that doesn't have unsettling things right. in it, but um, yeah. A, again, it's a different type of palate cleanser. Not your traditional nice one like on previous albums, but. It's funny how you you took uh, unsettling and disturbing from from that track, which I I didn't. I took more. Um, it's because like the textures behind the vocals mm-hmm. are pretty, not like pretty and kind of gorgeous. So I think I didn't register it as creepy or anything. So I ended up just turning that into board. Oh, uh, okay. Because if, if it doesn't strike a certain emotion, then I have to put it somewhere, or if I have to I have to. Um, or my brain puts it somewhere, uh, but it is an interesting, interesting song because it's like it's just um, Michael along with uh, Julia Kent, uh, little Annie, who is like a you know um, she's an artist, but she's like all kinds of shit: she's a painter, singer, poet, uh, performing artist. I think she, you no, know, I think she came um, in this album in the beginning. I don't think she was with him any earlier than this, but yeah they they're doing um they're just speaking things that people do did <laughs> in heart uh, in synchronization did she come during avatar because that's one <laughs> it's, it's when alex came all right that's, that's, <laughs> we'll have to ask her uh but yeah it's definitely more uh artsy and moody than than his song like uh but following following that because that was that's the end of side one or disc, disc one, one disc one this is also different i thought i had this on vinyl i do not i'm going to course correct that in the near future of course of course uh starting I, I always do always do baby we got side our disc two she loves us and holy shit coming in a hot with a fantastic dirty baseline yes and also that's like a mixture of old and new where i'm like this is noisy but it's also hypnotic yes. so you get the like punishing noise well not well you get some of the noise of old swans but then it's like oh we're doing this like 
hypnotic thing on this album so it fits in also in that first section it's uh it's you know kicks all this ass and it's really fucking brutal and, and heavy but it has these really high-pitched floaty vocals over it oh it sounds like they're going meow it's it's a it's a cool texture because it's like yeah it's uh you would expect more screaming or more pain but it has this very i don't want to say spiritual quality to it but in a way uh and then it crumbles into this atmospheric pounding where it's just pure fucking chaos it doesn't feel that controlled it feels like madness and then it goes into like a more groovy groovy section um really catchy going into that grooving i like the uh false sense of security the wing chimes give you and then it's just like oh no here's some feedback it's like a (laughs) i felt like it was a really brutal sinister kraut rock that whole section very cool Uh, and then uh at the end you get this disturbing choir of male voices just vocalizing not not really singing a melody just making noises uh and then this pounding fucking outro comes in rules i like um a lot of songs kind of evolve and change and you end up in a different place where this i felt was like being in a building and like slowly watching it get bombed because like towards the end i'm like there are remnants of, right i'm sure other songs but this one particularly like mm-hmm. i'm like there are remnants of where we started here uh-huh it just goes through a lot over the course of 17 minutes that song is 17 minutes by the way uh that's easy after 30 minutes t- Man, even that, like, even this song, I was like, fuck, man, this is a lot. This is a, I do like the parts that hit, I fucking love. But uh, some of the space in between, uh, it does take a lot out of you. Uh, next one, and this is my problem with this album, um, I think, as a whole, because, like, the, the highs are fucking unbelievable. Yeah. But some of the pacing does feel a little wonky because uh, Christian Supine is... First of all, amazing, but it's the first moment of beauty on the album. Whereas, I, whereas you, this is pretty late in the album. This is over an hour, an hour into the album. I guess there is, there is something beautiful about it, but also I'm just like, this is feels like the soundtrack to someone dying. In a way, it probably is. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. Even. I was like, I feel that way. And then I was listening to the lyrics where it's like, uh, I will let it go. I can't let go. And I'm like, ah, I bet, you know, you kind of, maybe you're at peace with dying. So you can let it go. And then you're like, no, Ooh, that's turmoil, man. I don't, I don't know if that was his intentions, but that's, you pull, you get out of it. What you yeah, get out that's of it. That's what I was feeling during that song. It is, it's such a great fucking song. I mean, the buildup is super evil and very creepy and actually kind of scary. Uh, drums don't come in until like around five minutes, 20, and it's very droney. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God damn, it's just so much amazing. Like, like the the female back, back of voice, who's singing on this one? Or, it may be the same. It's St. Vincent. Oh, she's okay. on there. Um, she's singing backup on that. Oh, she's as well as um, she does some backup vocals on screenshot, um, as well as uh, Natalie Neal and Bring the Sun, which which come on later on. But uh, yeah, th- they really do bring a different layer into it. It's, it's like a, it's beautiful and gentle, but just the darkness in it. You, you just, there's so much pain, so much pain, <laughs> and it's a beautiful song. It's fucking gorgeous. 
And then we move on to fucking Oxygen, which, good God almighty, one of the most incredible bass lines. <laughs> it's, it's weird, and maybe, you know, we've been doing this so long. Like, they've done noisy stuff, but I don't know if they've ever done anything where I'm like, oh, that kind of, it's kind of like math, like spazzy math rock. Yeah, it's not even, it's in 4-4, but the riff itself sounds mathy. Mm-hmm. And it's also extremely frantic and one of the most sadistic bass lines I think they've ever heard and definitely one of the most sadistic they've ever done. I think it is kind of a, a throwback at least in terms of aggression and anger. I don't know if we it's weird because there are aggressive angry things but then like you said there's that, that swans level and that to me is like tapping into that like it is, early era. It's a, it's like, uh, it's like vicious. It's, it's like, oh, cause it, none of the early stuff was this technical, especially mm-hmm. drum wise. The drums on oxygen are pretty fucking wild. Yeah. Really good drums. And, um, definitely a lot more layered and more intricate than anything they did early on. But the, the f- ferocity of it, mm-hmm. like the, the, it just feels like, a, like, like a serrated, um, it has that more than any song on the last album or the one before it, maybe even the entire middle era. Like it's just, there's something very, very deadly about oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, after that, uh, I think they also think it's one of their fucking best songs ever, but uh, Natalie Neal, I think would fit right in uh, on soundtracks for the blind. Yeah. Um, that's the first song where like I really enjoy it. It's it's great. Uh but I think in this album I got in such like a groove that or like I got accustomed like accustomed to this insanity of this current era where it didn't have like the same like shock and awe. Uh-huh. But I feel like that's like a very like nitpicky. It's, yeah, I mean, when you were dissecting these massive albums, we have to we find whatever we find. Um, with that one, full band comes in around like three forty five. I, I think it feels fucking amazing. I love the yeah, I I love the drumming on that track. Oh yeah, uh, the outro is also super pretty and soothing in almost like a Pink Floyd kind of way. Uh, when I think of the way they did atmosphere yeah it's that's one of the more frustrating ones because i'm like that outro i want you to play that for 12 minutes <laughs> that doesn't happen that often where we, we crave for them to go longer because usually like they really no, go long <laughs> the, the riffs and that outro are that good god damn god damn uh the title track which is the closer um i it's also like i was starting to get worn out right before the title track which is really like, i mean that's like but when you listen to a two hour album, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it took me, uh, what is it? Uh, an hour and, and 50 minutes essentially to get bored. <laughs> I, I always did disc one, disc two. Cause I, this dude, yeah. I, w- I thought of doing that and I was going to do that. Every album I listened to in one, straight through every single one fucking champion. But I think that's how I listen to Swan's albums though. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's how I've always, um, it's just how I want, like how I enjoy it more. I, yeah, I knew if I did that, I'd go even more mad with rage. I think I would actually love this album and maybe the next one a lot more if I uh, 
if I split them up mm. because there is, especially this album has so much distinction from each, each half because you get like the crazy aggressive stuff on, on disc two um, compared to the first one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but to be kind, uh, another gentle one ends it I, with a gentle one. Yes. I think, you know, like you said, disc two's more aggressive. I think this, the perfect ending to a, uh like this a brutal surreal odyssey that this album is um yeah it's depressing sad unsettling only to lead to moments of harshness like like that's the whole album right there it is absolutely is even uh into this giant eruption i think it fades out a little too quickly um to something that you kind of not, want. Not quite a bitch ass fade. Not quite. They will have a bitch ass, a bitch ass quick fade out in one album or one or two albums. Where I'm like, with it with an album that's two hours, you want you need time to like settle. Uh, at least if it's gonna fade out or it's gonna yeah, die, yeah. the note's gonna die. That's why I like the seer where it has this eruption of toms and it just cuts you off like, oh fuck. So you're just kind of like yeah. almost like you have whiplash. Um, that's that's one method, but this one it it it, it like eases you down. And then just, all right, we're done. Like, wait, wait, where's my aftercare? Where's my cuddling? <laughs> uh, oh, this is swans. There is no cuddling. There is no cuddling in swans. There's BDSM. There's whips and chains and fluids. Yep. A lot of fucking gagging and fucking holding back tears. <laughs> the best you'll get is like eye to eye contact with choking. Yeah. That sounds about right. Oh, fuck. Goddamn. I'm that's, hard, dude. It's so funny how, like, sexually charged the earlier eras were, but this is the one where I'm like, yeah, let's do all the sex. Yeah, let's metal. feel it. Yeah. By the way, this it's complete side note. Uh, I know we both have a lot of notes for this episode. We usually have a decent amount of notes for each episode, but this one is, is my top. It, it's. I don't think I've ever gone with more, more notes than this. How many pages you got of notes? Oh, um... Let me see. Um, yeah, basically every album is one page. Okay, you take way less notes than I do. It's because I I I only put um I put every thought that happens and then I just kind of sift through oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I try to like. So most most for for uh, for most episodes, I have about a page per album. You know how many pages I have for these six albums? How many? Twenty five. Twenty five. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know how to work Google Docs. Um, could say I've written 2024 words, dude. I'm going to find out how many uh, you're way higher for sure. Obviously. But I'm still curious though. How do you do the word count? Oh, oh, double. Oh, oh 40, over double 4,800 words. Yeah. Uh, well, it's just, it's not read all those words, but still like this, I didn't realize how much I was, uh, dissecting each song. Cause like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, they're 15, 20, 30, 40 fucking minutes each song is an album and I, I was worried like on the i was like what what if i don't like have enough to say about these like 30 minute but there is so much to yeah. say I, I was actually kind of worrying worrying about the same thing yeah. uh but yeah this um it, it's basically a matter of taste this one is absolutely incredible i didn't uh love the the, the choice of pacing as much as the last one Go but alex did going on the wikipedia i kind of feel like uh you know there's nothing basic about swans but i feel like this kind of 
like the basic bitch choice. People uh, really, really responded to this album. People yeah. fucking love this album. But things they did with the Seer as well. I think yeah. they, they may even that might have be might have even been the bitcher choice, basic bitcher choice of the two. All all it came down to with me is which one is more efficient. And I think this one's more efficient. It does get in quicker and also, from the from the start, it does have it's really hard to deny. Also, the they're they're totally different vibes too. They're different out uh, yeah. Um they what, actually they really are. Which helps like consume both of them. Like they're both really rad, but I just tend to go this one. This one uh has the crazier, more brutal, harsher moments and meaner moments, I think, than, than anything off the seer. The seer felt more like a story to me. Mm-hmm. It's probably why I gravitated toward it, toward it. But the highs here are among the absolute best in all of music. I mean, yeah, they are. some of the best songs ever written on this album. I can't, I can't even, oh my God. Uh, Alex's best and personal favorite. It is worthy of your time if you can handle it, baby. If you can handle it. Oh boy. Um, so around this time period is when the band started to not crumble, but they were they were getting heated. It wasn't mm-hmm. pretty. It wasn't pretty. Um, oftentimes on stage, uh, Michael does what he does, which is uh, berate the band members uh, on stage. <laughs> and at a certain point, they were getting real fucking tired of that. I mean, they're oh, mom, mom's not here anymore. Yeah. So all they're all older guys. Uh, at the at this point, uh, Michael was in his sixties. Everyone else is pretty much in their fifties, except for Chris, I think. And they're like, fucking no, stop yelling at us on stage. We're trying to like get lost in this thing and do the best we fucking can. And Michael's not, again, he's not trying to be mean or really, he's just trying to get the most out of them that he possibly can. He's wringing them out like rags really. So they, they said, fuck it. We're writing him a letter. We're, We're all signing it. We're saying, you can't do this to us. You have to, you have to treat us with respect. You can't do this. And he fucking listened. He read it and he's like, okay, okay, right on. Okay. Which is like a thing that I don't think would have gone over well in the nineties. No, <laughs> it would not have gone over quite. No. And not only that, I think around this time period, I'm probably mixing up, mixing it up a little bit, but around the time Michael stopped drinking. So uh, what I wasn't expecting was that to be a bad thing for the happiness of everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, Michael's drinking made him way more uh, joyful and sociable. And he, of course, he had like it, it gave him you know some meaner moments, but like um, without it, he was more intense and less uh, willing to like have fun and let loose. So it, it became kind of more business when he got sober, mm-hmm. which is interesting. You don't hear that side too too often. I guess if you get used to functioning on yeah. it. You have to learn to refunction. Yeah. And with a guy like as intense as this, doing work as intense as this, that's very tricky. But uh even even despite like the letter and him working with the band and being cooler, um, it still became a lot. And around 2015, at least according to to um Chris, the bass player, <clears throat> uh that's kind of when it, Everyone was getting like, I feel like this is getting toward the end. I feel like we're all, we're almost done with this. Yeah. We've been around each other a lot. And like, this is a lot. So I think around 2015, uh, Michael said, all right, one more. And then that's it. One more and we're done. And 
I remember hearing that news around this time period. Like, oh, he announced that, oh, one more album, they're done. And I was like, why? Like, already? Yeah. Already? Yeah. Little did I know, behind the scenes, it's just fucking so hard. It's I so tough. I just assume it always is a mess. Absolutely. And uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but uh, after the, you know, uh, my father will guide me up a rope. Um, Michael got divorced from uh, Chauvin. Uh, like in 2011, I think they got divorced. And around the, I think it was the Seer tour, he met Jennifer, his his current wife. So she'll be kind of a part of some later albums that we're going to talk about. And I think even uh, Christoph met his wife on tour. Uh, uh, Phil, his girlfriend, I don't know if he's still with her, but he met her on the tour. So like, they're all like, we got a lot out of this. Yeah. Like, even if Even if that was it, we met our fucking life partners, the mothers of our kids here. Yeah. Like this is pretty, this is a, this is an important thing we're doing here. <laughs> this is pretty fucking great. Uh, but this album was uh, partly funded again with uh, uh, a limited edition live double album called not here, not now, which was limited to 2000 copies. Uh, of course they have to supplement all of their albums with another thing. And they, uh, they really, handmade these fucking albums yeah they signed each 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 um signed and numbered each one they packaged them like in michael's living room and they shipped them all out by hand thousands of copies like i think i don't remember who said it but it's something like the five minutes spent on each copy and you multiply that by thousands and thousands like a lot they really work so hard to be able to do this yeah it's absolutely it's fucking insane man um but on this album like i said um we got little annie um she all, sometimes goes by annie anxiety she I, I didn't realize that she worked with crass check out that episode uh current 93 coil nurse with wound lee scratch perry kid congo powers uh check out the gun club and uh the the cramps uh paul oakenfold and living color that's quite a mixed bag. Um, you know, I'm going to call Tom out here and I'm disappointed he didn't spell color. With the U? Because he lit. That, actually, that's a funny typo. Tom is, is, a, is a Europe man. He should know these. He things. normally spells color with a U. Yeah. And the time that it's required, he did not. <laughs> so I'm going to call. You're thin ice, buddy. You're really pushing it. <laughs> uh what was it? Um, yeah, of course, St. Vincent or Annie Clark, whatever. St. Vincent's the, the stage name. Uh, Tom noted that she likes uh, she. Tom noted that he likes her version of uh, Kerosene from Big Black. Check out that episode. As a, as do I. I never heard it. Uh, I thought we listened. I thought you had like some like nitpicky things about it. I think it's rad. I don't remember. I don't remember hearing it. Okay. Maybe. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Because no other bands who've covered artists that I like that I really hated. Unless, unless you listen to it and you'll get back to me and you're like, I hate it. I was like, I did listen to it. Maybe. Yeah. Because I, I, yeah. uh, I love that song and I like her. I don't love her, but I do like her. We have talked about. Yeah. Or my uh, my love hate thing with her. And yeah, she's she's respectable, though, um, with uh, her ethics and nerves. What is it? Uh, uh, what's the word? Musish, her artistry. That, that was the word. That's the word. Um, and this is from uh from the knot from from Jira's journal. He says this is a fucking like some of these some of these quotes. They're not really super related to the to the album. Just but, where he's at in life. Exactly, and they're 
I love the way he he words things and writes like even on Instagram, he's a really good follow or the Swans page because he mostly just posts like screenshots of movies he's watching or books he's reading or certain works of art with like really thoughtful captions and mm-hmm. really articulate. It's like it's an interesting very uh, if you're into art at all, that's like a, a good follow. But he says, uh, God is in my daughter drawing a crazed picture of a cat here beside me intent focus following the lines. Since yesterday, she insists on following me everywhere, sticking to me like a tick. It's a bit annoying, but also touching. She says she misses me because I tour so much. Our love is perhaps the purest possible. Neither of us has any ulterior motives whatsoever. We just want to see the other person happy. My soul is in hers and hers is in mine. Strange, so strange to exist, but at this moment, also lovely. Adding adding poignancy to this uh, is the palpable approach of death. I think of it constantly, but not with enough focused clarity for this obsession to be productive. Jesus Christ. This knows how to turn a good vibe into a bad one. So easily on a dime. Uh, what is the point of awareness? Is it some sort of virtue? How could it possibly matter to the universe if I'm aware of, or even if I've sustained or if I've, if I've attained a state of perfect attunement to existence. Lately, my sense of utter worthlessness has reached a state of nihilistic numbness, which bleeds into the kind of contentment a limbless human might feel when being fed its porridge, which I suspect, which I suspect is a little, is little different than a state of acute enlightened awareness or in any event, the difference is irrelevant. Jesus Christ. That is actually quite profound, but just in such a bleak and bitter, bitter way. You started off talking about your fucking daughter. And how beautiful it was. But like that is something I like to ponder as well. Like, yeah. What is the difference between completely enlightened and, and completely deprived? Mm-hmm. When you really boil it down the actual raw spirituality of it, if you want to get a little hokey, um, it is it's like, oh man, everything is one. Oh my God. Oh my God. I like, I love that fucking last paragraph. That, that quote is, uh, it's kind of the, the shit I chew on when I take my long walks. Damn. This band is fucked up. <laughs> fucking long. And now we are on to the last album with the dream team. Oh boy. I guess I mean, you ready? I'm ready. Hell yes. Let's do it. This is 2016's the glowing man. Do you have a timestamp for this one? Because uh, might as well just sit with it because this is, this is going to take a while. Yeah, fuck, I didn't do it on this one. Well, this do what we did. We'll, yeah, we play a little bit and then we'll fast forward. Yeah, this is a a much more uh, revved up intro than the past few that we've gotten, which is kind of surprising that they've for the most part have been quick and to the point it, yeah very surprising actually this is like very beautiful and surreal and definitely cinematic too eases your way into the album instead of just throwing you in the deep end I am on my guard though I can't you have to always be on your guard
love it. God damn. <laughs> it's like oddly, like oddly pleasant. Yeah, it's quite soothing actually. Like that piano. I don't, I don't recall them using it quite that way in the past three albums. I can't think of, like, an acoustic guitar riff like this either. Yeah, it's, I feel like they've been, like, twangy or, or dark. It, it wasn't so much in, like, the bigger full, full band situations. How long is this song? I believe it's uh, 12 minutes, almost yeah. 13 minutes. Uh, as you might guess, it takes its time. <laughs> yeah. So this is ease out. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a time set of exactly when like the croons come in. Well, I just threw around. Uh, there it is. Again, would you expect him to be shouting like that over this? Like, there's <laughs> always just something adjacent to what you're expecting. Yeah, so this one, it does get louder and bigger as it goes on, as you, as you can kind of hear there. Yeah. Uh, but never, it feels like super cacophonous or painful. And then the final three minutes, it goes in this really big angry section that absolutely fucking rules yeah that's the part i was waiting for uh yeah it's like the final three minutes of like yeah. the, the whole song uh also worst least favorite worst least favorite i can't believe we i can't believe we agree on this i am so <laughs> relieved i because i like this album a whole lot sure but it, it's a good album there's reasons i had to give it worse and i'm so relieved because <laughs> i thought we were gonna fight i really did <laughs> uh this is well i do like I love so many songs on here. And I don't think there's a single like bad song on here. Uh, I think the seer and to be kind did it all a lot more, better. a lot better, a lot more memorable. And the highs here, like if I take away this podcast, I take away the fact that I just heard the other albums and I put on this album, uh, the big giant moments of atmosphere and pounding, you know, crushing pain. Uh, and, uh, and then it then moves on to this, this musical Island it all feels great. And the, the little, the part where the song kicks in, I'm like, Oh, that's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. But none of them are like the greatest thing they've ever done. Like they have in the past three albums in a row. Not, not as efficient for sure. Um, like cloud of the unknowing was the first song in this era where I was like, I don't really care for this song. I like it. It is 25 minutes. It is the, there no song in here crosses 30 minutes i mean hey one one is 28 or 29 but you know yeah none of them cross the, the mark but putting a 25 minute song as track two is is a bold move it's yeah it's not even the length obviously but yeah of course um 
I love the atmosphere in it. It goes into these like really surreal toms and droning, uh, droning kind of stuff. And then it comes in with this really, really awesome heavy four, four beat. It's, I think it's very, it's pummeling and atmospheric at the same time. But like, uh, again, all like the big, cool hooky sections, uh, they're just fucking cool. They're not like, uh, musical bliss or, yeah. or like ecstasy the way I felt on the, on the past few. Yeah. For me, it takes about like 18 minutes for me to pique my interest. And I'm like, that's a little too late. So, so around 1440, this heavy bass comes in and the drums go ape shit. It's a, uh, it's, I think, I don't know. It's very, it's a very painful song. It's, it's kind of sadder than most of their other Epic songs, but 1820 is when, the drums come back in with these fucking clicks and this really, um, this bass line. I'm, uh, the, uh, how do I describe this bass line? It's like, it's like really, it's almost like a, uh, like a telegraph. It, or yeah. Or, uh, what is it? Morse code. Yeah. The, the telegraph Morse code. It's like that with this, with these really cool clicks. And it's, I don't know. There's something really inviting about it that, Kind of uh, hypnotizes you. Throw it on for Ooh. quick. Right on. Yes, this part. Yeah, that fucking. Oh, it's so good. That's. Fuck, it's so good. That section and. I could have said this about any song in the past few albums, but when I've mentioned in the past about infinity riffs, what I mm-hmm. call infinity riffs, that's an infinity riff. You do, it, it goes on for however long it goes on. You don't mind it going on for an hour. It can yeah. just keep looping. It doesn't, there's no uh, inherent lifespan to that riff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's wonderful. But then, then, then again, it comes on in the final 18, it's wait, 18, 18 minutes to get to it. <laughs> I would I would wait 10. 10 is fair. It's still generous, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, then we get uh, The World Looks Red, The World Looks Black, which comes in relatively quick uh, that, compared to the, every other song, like the first two tracks. That song's crazy because it kind of dabbles in a little bit of like goth rock. Mm. Um, and then there's like these horns and the horns are also like kind of funky. Oh, like you, track three, you go a lot of different unexpected places. It it's very unusual song. Um, also, which I just learned, because uh, it's called "The World Looks Red, The World Looks Black." Uh, "The World Looks Red" is a Sonic Youth song, which I, I believe is on "Confusion of Sex," which is like my favorite Sonic Youth album. I didn't know uh, Michael Jarrett wrote the lyrics to that song. I didn't know that either. And he uses those lyrics here. Oh shit! Um, yeah, which I've, different song entirely, but lyrics. I've properly listened to one Sonic Youth. No. Well, yeah, I like one because I was like, I really like this, and I'm scared to go. They <laughs> have. They're a band with like so many albums that you can kind of uh, almost detach that this album was made by the same band as this album. Yeah, Confusion of Sex is is my Sonic Youth. It's like that's the brutal, crazy stuff, and I, I fucking love it, but. Yeah, uh, along with in that song as well as other parts, the really romantic piano, which again it was it wasn't very highlighted on the other albums, um, and here I, I tend to notice more of the ambient sections more. The ambient sections here feel way more uh, of the forefront than the songs, the song sections. 
it's like there's more room to breathe on these songs. And then so these instruments that have always been there feel more like the focus and like driving forces of the song. It's almost like there's separation between the instruments more so than before. Yeah. Um, on the same track, what looks red? Well, looks black uh, around halfway is when things get heavier. Cause it, again, it is another 15 fucking minute song. Um, the second half is when it gets kind of, it sounds almost like a, like an espionage movie. Like the way the drums come in with like this double picking guitar and the, and the there's doing a lot of um, hi hat stuff. You, you always beat me to it when I'm like, I wrote that for a different song. Oh. And then you feel that way about it. <laughs> Dude, sometimes they, they channel these like, that's a weird. I never would have expected that from this band. It doesn't. It's. It sounds like out of a movie. Yeah. Um, and then also the vocals in the section really, really remind me of Talking Heads. Uh, the backup vocals really mm-hmm. remind me of Talking Heads. Um, it's like yeah, you said it was funky. I felt like yeah, weirdly like groovy. And, the end. Yeah, it's like weirdly groovy and fun. Um, it's not light exactly, but it is like lighter. It is. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like those. Are there horns on this? Yeah, the horns are still kind of like there's an uneasiness to them. They're still kind of off a little bit. Yeah, and uh, also the ver- the edge the outro is insanely eastern sounding, really mm-hmm. dramatic too. Um, but yeah, the it seems like on the album there's increasingly more ambience because um, I guess this is like the final form of the Dream Team. Yeah, um, people like us is jazzy i mean what the fuck i was like this is like drunk and creepy at the same time it's it's a four and a half minutes which is a pretty short and it's almost yeah i found it to be almost loungy and very uncharacteristic kind of nice actually fucking get the doors out of here man oh i know (laughs) it's the same thing spitting image same thing Uh, the the one of the epics here is frankie m which I I would say is my least favorite of their 20 minute plus songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like it. It's not you, my least. Well, I just said cloud of unknowing. Oh, that's, yeah, that's of course. Um, so this one, it, I mean, like all the others, it has like, it starts out with a lot of droning. I mean, the mm-hmm. most droning of anything yes. so far. I mean, especially the vocals. Holy shit. Really psychedelic too. Like um, drawn out and ethereal and it, it floats around. There's no form to it. At around eight minutes, 10 seconds when the song finally starts. Yes. Yes. Uh, it has like this really repetitive, but not entirely soul crushing pounding section. So- and- Stop writing all the same words. Oh, right shit. Yet. Look at that. Just <laughs> simpatico. Uh, at 1140 is when the song song finally. Like, mm-hmm. So 810 is when like things start happening. 1140 is when like the song part comes in. And it's like. It's really catchy, but I don't really like it. I don't even know how to, how to explain it. Yeah. This was another one where I was like, oh, this kind of feels like like goth rock, not, you know. Not that you would show it to someone who likes God, yeah. But like the way Swan, like, oh, this is Swan's doing, like, because it's it's like a it's a minor, it's just two chords, it's a minor mm-hmm. key riff, two chords, and it sounds almost like alt rock. It's like it's you know it's a clean guitar riff. It's one of the most riffy things they've done in a while. It's very riffy, and the vocals are very catchy. He's just kind of. Um, repeating you know frankie m mm-hmm. a lot of times and it sticks in your head a lot but i just don't love it um 
So I could see it's one of those things where I could see how that would really work for people. It just doesn't work. Does it for me? Um, I do like the, the final section though. It gets a little bit more twisted and Swansea. Um, but like, you know, at 21 minutes, uh, kind of similar, like that took a little too long though. Yeah. It's like, uh, the epics here are, they're indeed epics, but they, they feel like, uh, well, we've gotten this type of thing before, but with bigger highlights, mm-hmm. um, when will I return? We have a beautiful, beautiful fucking song. That is, that's my favorite song on the album. It's so good. Uh, that's um, Jennifer Jura singing lead mm-hmm. on there. Very fitting and very pretty. Um, around three minutes, 10 is when things kick in and fucking rule. If, uh, if the cocktail twins were psychopaths, they would record this song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, they are, but just in different ways, different ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely beautiful song except for beth that woman that woman knows how to she's like my mental health is more important than she is smart a smart lady (laughs) for sure for not taking that payday but also one of the most fucking brilliant singers ever Uh, um yeah that song also like it segues nicely into the the title track the title track so this is what i i brought it up with the seer how the seer became the seer because it was it started from like an intro to I crawled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forgot to mention it on, <clears throat> on the last album, uh, bring the sun, uh, Tucson literature that was formed from the seer. The seer became that song. Oh, and that that's song, why it's in the title. And that song became the, uh, the glowing man. So basically the title track here stemmed from I crawled all the way back. Yeah. Each song kind of grew from the one before, which is pretty amazing. That is pretty cool that they all have that, that DNA. Yeah. Yeah. They all came from the same spot. Um, the, so the title track is, starts out sounding, I think exactly like no quarter from, from Zeppelin. It sounds so much like it. The, it's weird because it's probably not fair. I'm oversimplifying here, but yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, this this sounds, you know, like someone at Guitar Center like testing out a guitar more skillfully. Oh, I I, I felt more from that. If, I mean, I, I did it, 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 it felt more like oh, I'm just like noodling around. Oh, okay, and, uh, it, it song kind of starts up around three forty five, which is sooner than most. Uh, you get these like really deep, almost throat singing vocals in the background i wrote that I, yeah i think it's called like tuvin throat oh is that oh yeah or very like, unusual <laughs> fucking uh fucking dune dune or uh uh billy bob thornton and fucking sling blade <laughs> <laughs> uh around seven and a half minutes you get this really awesome big section um and then 15 around 15 10 you get a, a, a faster kind of bouncier section comes in it's it's kind of the most danceable thing it's, on any album yeah by far it's it's more like dark heavy kraut rock stuff i love it i think it's great it has some these uh these really nice female backup vocals kind of swirling around the mix the jira is being very aggressive there it's definitely the strongest 20 minute song on this album uh i might like you know what? You're probably right. I don't know. I kind of like Cloud of Annoying. I think I like oh, the sections man. there more. Yeah. That's that's where we come to blows. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I haven't decided entirely yet. But uh, 
the, the, my problem with the title track and I guess cloud of knowing as well, it, they all kind of follow the same patterns as the epics on the other ones. Get yeah. Dr- uh, Drony ambience, pounding section, Drony ambience, musical Island, Drony ambience, second musical. Like they all kind of, follow the same kind of uh maybe not exact the exact patterns but the kind of like ebbs and flows of like all right we're going up we're going down we're going up and, and I, uh, it just i guess the novelty just sort of wore off i think i had that moment too where it's like it's this crazy and it's it's so much to take in and then you have like that that moment neo has where you see all the numbers yeah and yeah i think that happened for me yeah you see how like oh they they're, they're they are repeating themselves there is well like yeah. a f- uh a method to the madness yeah even though they are constantly growing and evolving the songs are always taking new shape they are they they did fall into a pattern mm-hmm. and i think that's another part of the reason that this was going to be the last one like mm. all right i've um jira has done this a lot with past members or uh, past lineups where he's like i've exhausted what we can do with this group of people mm-hmm. i can't pull anything new out of this like this has to end and hearing this in this context i finally appreciate that because i was sad when i was like oh duh, no more of the, oh. <laughs> but it's not like this is a bad album it's like if they would have did, done one more with this exact lineup, then that probably would have been a, a bum album this yeah. is still a good album i feel like still very solid uh still some some good things on here and yeah the only thing left is the the, the closer finally peace which is borderline cheerful yeah it's uh upbeat i like the different singing and vocalists on there and uh and it's a lie because there's two more albums left yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, it is it is a lie. There are, there is more, but there is this is the end of of this lineup. Um, I found it to be a, a kind of pretty natural sounding and, and nice closer. But so this album was, of course, like all the others, was funded or at least in part funded by um, limited edition live double album called The Gate, which was they made twenty five hundred copies of that one. And yeah, so Jennifer Jira, Michael's wife. Uh, of course, sing lead on When Will I Return, as well as she did some of the backing vocals on Finally Peace, which I found, I like the mix of that <clears throat> because they're almost, her vocals are almost taking up more space mm-hmm. in the mix than, than Jira or than Michael because, and it gives it a nice kind of a, almost like a disarming quality of it where it's just less harsh and less aggressive. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I it, think if you have peace in your song title, that's... I hope so. Yeah. I hope there's some peace from this guy. Um, you got... Uh, Oh Kyung Lee, uh, South Korean cellist and composer, uh, apparently moved to New York in 2000 and has gone to uh, be a part of many collaborations, including Laurie Anderson, Thurston Morris, Stephen O'Malley, Jim O'Rourke, John Zorn. Uh, yeah, holy shit. All the uh, best. Yeah, cello on uh, Cloud of Unknowing. And yeah, let's see. So here's uh, another extract from, from All Michael's Journal. Of course, as philosophical and depressing as you'd expect it says the zen questions who is thinking these thoughts and as i watch these thoughts pass across the screen of my mind who is watching them pass the essential consciousness before words and thoughts is that emptiness how can emptiness have a consciousness is the emptiness that is watching my thoughts and the events of the world pass through it god is god thinking me into being thinking the world into being if god is thinking into being then why does god bother with such a futile pursuit when placed in the context of infinity 
all of our endeavors here on earth are puny and senseless, or, or if there is a sense, then that truth is absurdly beyond our comprehension. Thoughts are like flies on the window screen. Exterminate them. <laughs> so it's like a, a fairly, uh, I think, common meditation, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, just, of course, to look look at things more cosmically and acknowledge how insignificant we are. Uh, but in such a swan's way, to put it, in such oh. a... Ending it with exterminate them. Yeah. Exterminate thoughts like flies on window screen. I like that. I like that. (laughs) It's very colorful fucking language. Uh, So yeah, this is the, the, the break when they finally stopped. This is what Michael said to to Tom during his interview about this break here, or at Mm -hmm. least this disbanding of this particular lineup. Uh, Michael says, we decided to disband, at least temporarily, the consistent Swans lineup we enjoyed from 2010 to 2018 after eight years of being in each other's presence constantly while rehearsing, touring, and recording without any meaningful breaks. The collaborative way we worked as a group was no longer bearing the same ripe fruit it did at our peak, so we let it go. Also, the sheer athletic endurance of the 30-minute-plus pieces and three-hour sets we seemed to inevitably develop uh, was increasingly beyond us physically to perform effectively. So beginning with Leaving Meaning, I I decided to make Swans a more open-ended adventure with musicians coming and going from project to project. Certainly more... uh, uh, sustainable for a man approaching 70 and some of the stuff that the band members talked about uh, with these performances like the injuries of like like I forget which who it was but someone who's playing keys uh, said they got like fucking tennis elbow from just holding the keys for so long in a certain way fucking hell it, it's like when you think of carpal tunnel you think of all these kind of injuries it's always through repetition that they mm-hmm. happen it's never through like well, sometimes it's through like one big yeah. crazy movement, but uh, oftentimes it's through repetition. This music is all repetition. Everything they do is just, and it was especially with Michael screaming at you and staring at you to hit as hard as you possibly can. He's uh, going to be the first person to uh, have a musician get a Tommy John surgery. Fuck. <laughs> Dude. If you're a baseball fanatic, which... I know one person is. Hell yeah, we get at least one. Uh, but yeah, so he, this was the end of this, and they all kind of knew it. Uh, actually, before, I think it was before this tour for The Glowing Man, uh, Thor quit. Thor quit before everyone else. Mm-hmm. And he was already like planning on quitting because he was done, exhausted. Those things in Asgard that need to be taken care of. Listen, Loki's running amok. He needed to get. Someone needs to step up. So I think he was already at the point where like, I've done everything I can with this band. This is, this is the end. And he was feeling really guilty. And then Michael was like, one more and we're done. He's like, oh, oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, so I think he left before the final tour. Uh, and then, yeah, that was it. And, but it's not the it, it. We're still, ha- we're still not done. Uh, this, this open-ended thing uh, seems, um, you're going to get a lot of overlap, a lot of repeat people, a lot of people who didn't really leave, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you feel the difference immediately. Yes. So yeah, the glowing man, good album, but clearly the end of a rope in both of our worst and least favorites. Still great album. Still check it out, especially if you're into this sick world that we're in right now, but time to move on. Yes. Sir. Here we go, baby. This is 2019's leaving meaning. Oh, hold on. Track two, right? Yeah. There we go. 
so on the the opening track is just an intro but you you don't get a a, uh, a dissimilar feeling than the glowing man because it kind of eases your way in but this song comes on also this stays minimal it stays peaceful unlike the glory man also angelic really also long time listeners will know mike already put this on his best of 2019 list sure did i did not have the time of to give this a full listen we were strapped for time yes and this is a long album not as long but it's still long This is a right here and right now. A fucking the first great response to long. these overtly long. Hundred percent. This is the perfect oh, response. I'm somewhere in you, and I'm never this is the most angelic something thing they've done this entire era. By far, yes. I love his voice here. It's so powerful. It's not super taxing. It's actually quite lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do. So at the time when this came out, it was on my list and I, I, I loved it immediately, but I didn't have time to really fucking absorb it. Mm-hmm. And I also, love it more now. Also, like with perspective of the other albums. Oh, 100 percent. It's yeah. so different. It's so different than the others. This is. The gentle album out of all this, this whole era, this over, this is the soft, pretty, angelic, gentle album. But there's still disturbing things. Yes, there are. Like the hanging man. It's so good, dude. The hanging. So it's the only song that sounds like it could be on a previous album here. I, w- I was going to say on the last album, I don't feel like they really like maybe because they went so hard on the, the psychedelia on to be kind. Mm hmm that I didn't really feel like it was on the previous album. So it's like kind of a nice, like, Oh, okay. We're, we'll still dabble with that. Right. Um, because, well, one thing I love about the hangman is, uh, so at least tonally and the type of riff that, that, that it's revolving around, it feels like, Oh, it's a re- repetitious, bitter kind of mean, heavy thing. Mm-hmm. But, it's way more reined in and quieter. What it reminds me of is the fucking, the bootlicker by the Melvins. Oh, where it's like, okay. these are just Melvin songs played clean. Yeah. Where it's like, that's a swan, a big giant, heavy swan song played cleaner. Yeah. 
Uh, and the vocals come in, uh, vocals around like four minutes, 40 are fucking super sadistic. You still get like babbling and yep. screaming. Yep. Um, around five twenty, it takes this shift toward, uh, like sounding very Eastern, mm-hmm. uh, and it, uh, it gets bigger and louder. It, and before returning to that main riff, it's like, it's so fucking well done. There's no, um, big, huge payoff or big explosion. Like with the other songs like that. I, I will say like the. To me, the explosions or the vocals and then the instrument, the instruments go there like once and then it's back to. Yeah, it's very, it's very, uh, again, very reined in. It's not uh, this lengthy build up to one giant climax. It's like, no, it's way more of like the earlier sw- mid period swans where mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to no, we're going to repeat this a lot and we're going to throw in embellishments and we're going to uh, evolve it, but it's not going to like explode. Yeah. Um, the, it's very contained and it's a great fucking song. It's, it's almost 11 minutes and it, it flies by. Uh, Amnesia is, I think the first time in this era we get multiple acoustic guitars. Mm, it, it felt like a, like a very like dark lullaby. Yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Love it. <laughs> fucking gorgeous haunting. Um, and by that point in the album, even though the hanging man had some moments, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, this is a, this is a gentle, this is a soft album. This is, I mean, relatively soft, um, because the stuff here feels so hopeful and really again, angelic. Like the layers are really, if you hear the, the ethereal female vocals in the background, the, the piano, the very, uh, minimal single piano plucks, uh, and there's some strings on here too. I mean, there's strings on all, most of the albums, but they're more uh, kind of uh, isolated. So you can mm-hmm. you hear them as a ch- you hear it as a cello rather than as a part of this whole ensemble. Uh, yeah, like and and you know, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the title track is like a ma- it's a ma- not like it is a masterpiece. Um, Fucking so good. The I love the piano so much on there. And again, I can't think of a song where it's like the piano was like the driving force. And so it's this, this cool thing where maybe the focus was on the wall of sounds or guitars and drums. And then this is like, we're going to let the piano be the star. It's romantic and bleak, but with a very Western feel Uh, like that song I felt it transporting me somewhere. Like it's, it's fucking, it's so moving. And it's like songs like that, along with a few others, but it's, it's like the most repetitive they've been in ages, even though they've always been repetitive. But again, it's just, it's just more like, um, it's, it ends up feeling more psychedelic and soothing mm-hmm. because it's not, again, it's not building that much. It's just repeating. So it kind of lulls you into this thing. Uh, and you just, it's like stepping onto a carousel or something like you, now you're just spinning with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's also really inviting because it's so gentle and pretty. Uh, like th- that song, I feel it couldn't be shorter. Like I don't want it to fucking hang. No, no. Uh, I mean, I called it a masterpiece. So obviously I don't have any, no problems with it. Yeah. yeah. 11 minutes, 20 seconds is not long enough. Of, <laughs> of perfection. Yeah. Uh, Sunfucker is another, one of the more abrasive songs. Very interesting song. I like that. It's, there's like rhythmic chanting. Yep. It's minimal, but it's still powerful. 
Um, there's a part where like some synths kick in, and I hope no one's on drugs because it's abrasive, dude. Dude, that's a strange man. Almost tribal female vocal shouts are mm. behind uh, Michael. Uh, kind of whiny sounding. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like five and a half minutes, drums finally go in, and it jumps into this almost doo up style vocal performance <laughs> with this four four beat. Very strange. Like, yeah, it's I a very sh- like cool, strange, unique. Song even amongst all this insanity that is Swans. Yeah, I don't. I don't love every part of it. I don't love like that duop sounding part so much. But it's it's just another turn, another shift in style that they've never done, and it's always exciting. Um, in the final two minutes, um, Jennifer comes in with lead uh, along with Michael in the, in the final final section, which is very nice. Uh, it's a well. It's a very that song takes you places. It's very one of the weirdest songs. I dig it though. Oh yeah. Cathedrals of heaven. Fuck man. man. Uh, I love it. Love man. it. Those lyrics are unsettling and I'm like, I'm glad I don't pay attention to them more often. I'm, I'm now I'm very glad I didn't pay attention. I have no idea what the lyrics are. I should have wrote some of them down. I think I was just like, Oh God. Let me <laughs> delete that. Oh my God. Uh, it's another song with that. That's, has the signature swans feel but mm-hmm. just way softer mm-hmm. uh and it songs like that where, it's, where it was like oh this is absolutely just another era like this era is basically two and one because it feels like a, a completely different shift you know it's them but it's not even close to, to what we had before um and some of these sounds it might be a mellotron i can't tell i'm not good at pinpointing instruments but some of these sounds are just so relaxing uh which is the thing that we just didn't ever get on any of these albums before. It was never relaxing. This is like, yeah, hypnotizing. Um, another eight minutes that just flies by. You know what isn't relaxing? What was that? The nub. The nub. I love the nub. I was like, this is the most evil jazz shit I've heard, given I'm not an expert in jazz, but um, I was like, yeah, there's something bad going on in a in a dark alley and this song is playing. Um, and then I, I see there's some band on here called the next. The next. Yeah. That is uh, made up of, of, it's like avant garde jazz band from Australia. Yeah. Chris uh, Abrams and Tony Buck. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely, and, Lo- and sorry. And Lloyd's Lloyd Swanton. Sorry. I definitely want to check their, their stuff out after, uh, listening to this. Cause, uh, yeah. Also, I'm losing track of singers. Was well, does uh, 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 huh? was Baby D on a previous? No, uh, no, 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 no. Baby D, yeah, Baby D, uh, as different. well as I think of Little Annie. Little is too many little. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so on on the nub, it's not just the next on there. It's also Baby D, uh, Faye Kristen, um, Ida Albert. I can't read that name. I'm sorry. It's fucking it's, <laughs> Ida. Ida uh, Michelle's. Um, a whole. It's a whole choir of voices, and uh, it doesn't sound like Michael's on there at all. Yeah. But so what it is is it's the song that has all of these characteristics of Swans. You feels like you know it's them, and then this completely different choir of voices that you don't recognize comes in, and it's it's I fucking love that. Like it's oh yeah, it's like you. It's the perfect way to make a step towards something different. Is like. 
All right, I'm going to invite you with something that you recognize and then switch it to something that you don't. And that's mm-hmm. how we make new ground here. Yes, and it fucking works. It's fucking great, works. Great song. Uh, next, we got uh, It's Coming, It's Real. How do you feel about this one? Uh, I felt like that was a, uh, another one. Like It's been a long time, but kind of tapping into the, the angels of light. Yes, uh, almost bluesy. It's got mm-hmm. like a, a modulating main riff, almost happy sounding. Uh, it's still soft, of course, still very atmospheric as shit. A uh, lot of great female backup vocals, some brushed drums. Uh, different feel, but I like it as well. Um, and it, that one builds in like a, I don't know how to ex- explain it other than like a very, it builds in an accessible way. Mm-hmm. It's not ear piercing or it's not like a overwhelming or, or intense or anything. It just builds in a very nice, very nice way. Um, another song, uh, which I'm glad it's, it's long certain songs like like that one uh i at first i'm like i don't know if i really like this it's fine then as it keeps going on and on and i'm like yep the 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 length somehow transforms it justified um i kind of have the same thoughts about um some new things where arguably you know it's coming it's real and some new things are normal music uh, um yeah in a way but it's it's much needed it's much needed like some new things dude i think it's the only song i don't like from this era of it probably <laughs> it makes me laugh the, yeah i i was like i don't think they're any less interesting no yeah it so if you've heard Let's say you just listen to To Be Kind and you put on some new things you'd be very confused yeah it's it's like a blend of a like 60s garage rock and 90s alternative mm-hmm. it it sounds nothing like anything someone has ever done it's almost like this could kind of be on the radio like what the fuck yeah uh and it's a uh, it's, it's got i mean it has as deep of instrumentation as you'd expect but with a bizarrely poppy main driving uh hook which is so unusual um what is this Dude, I don't know what it is about that fucking song, but it hits me in a certain way, and I can't even handle it, dude. Yeah. That song fucks me up. I think I was just kind of, kind of lost where that one didn't really stick with me the way other things did. It's kind of like a pop ballad, especially yeah. at first, where um, the the bass is kind of just hanging on um, one note, staccato, and, and and Michael singing over it, and but it, but it, it felt very or it feels very melancholy in in a, a 90s way or an early mm-hmm. 2000s way and then around two two and a half minutes in percussion comes in and it gives it starts getting really triumphant and then it gets so melancholy to the point where it's like making me feel bad i'm like mm. fuck this is like really depressing me like in a way that i like and as it as it keeps building um more female vocals start coming in toward the end it's i find it to be fucking heartbreaking like a devastating song i really like it a lot i i think also i like phantom limb just like stayed with me that one's unsettling probably the most unsettling song on the album yeah you still need to even through all these nice moments you still need to remind people that you're crazy and mentally disturbed yeah and you still need to scream i'm the avatar of your semen (laughs) 
such a great line. Dude. Fucking is sacred. Music is sacred. Mic drop. Dude. I couldn't, dude. Bars, dude. Bars. So, so that <laughs> the way that song opens is there's this really heavy drum beat, but a sea of Michael's vocals speaking over each other. Mm-hmm. So it's already like, all right, this is schizophrenic as fuck. This is super powerful. Oh, yeah, oh is. my God. Different. I mean, completely different feel than anything on this part of the album, even on the whole album. And it's more itchy and unsettling, but I mean, it's like the, the, uh, it's like the music is only there as glue to hold the vocals in place. <laughs> it's, that's it's, a great way to put it. It's such a strange piece, man. I'm actually just like you have the masters of these and this like acapella fuck that <laughs> or like you're watching him record the vault. that'd be fucking uns- uns- yeah. Yeah, upsetting uh i think it's a great closer but it has a bitch-ass quick fade out oh there there Damn. it is deal breaker no it's, not a deal breaker, not a deal breaker but you do crave it to kind of like let the note die or decay a little yeah. bit longer um yeah so the dream team is, is gone but this is a whole new step it's it feels it's, to me, the perfect response to all these, it's still a long album, right? Yeah. Um, yeah so this one's only an hour and a half compared to two hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I need, my soul needed this. I'm sure his soul needed that too. Yeah. It, it, it definitely feels a lot more um, calm. Mm-hmm. But still. Still swans, of still course. Still deranged. Uh, so this was funded by... Uh, limited edition uh, album of acoustic demos called what is this which was they made 2500 copies of that and uh because this is a more open-ended loose uh format for the band uh jira is of course hand handpicking each member or each guest and member kind of deliberately um but here we still have christoph on lap steel and other guitars we still have um phil uh i think minimally though he's only yeah he's only plays on on amnesia hammer dulcimer so he's not playing the drums um we have norman on like we don't know exactly which uh i think he Jira just said um or the the statement said um that norman played on a, a few key moments on this record doesn't say which specifically the same with with chris on bass mm-hmm. just a, a few moments the only returning people are uh well, actually, we have a Thor also plays some some parts on here, but like the only consistent one that stayed is Kristoff. Yeah, like he's the only one who's officially never really left. Um, Thor, Phil, Norman are on, and Chris are on here, but they're just you know ambiently. But the main lineup now we have is Michael, Kristoff, Larry Mullins. Real quick, where's Larry? I know, I know. He's been with them in the past. Um, Stooges. Oh, they came in the bad seeds. Okay, okay. He's a he's a real deal. Um, yes. what other Swans albums has he been on? I don't, I don't know if he's been on the Swans album. I forget, but he's uh oh, it's he, uh, throw down. Uh, stop. Uh, oh, oh yeah. So he was on soundtracks for the blind. Uh, Dieter Itzu, um, the the German EP. Uh, Swans are dead. Yeah, and uh, then this album, the next one. So yeah, I forgot he was he was there for like the the very the last lineup before they broke up, um, and then Yo Yo Rome Yo 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 Rome on bass, uh, Larry on drums of course, and the guests on here we got all cans we got so many I'm not gonna go through all of them but they I did release I only a, know one of them 
Who was the one? Uh, Anna and which one? Oh, Anna Van. Um, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Housewolf. Yes. Uh, I know her name. Where did you, I? Don't, I don't know her, her stuff, but I just know her name. Yeah, she's like a solo musician. Mm. Uh, yeah. So they they released a whole bunch of information on who they're doing, but basically. Like for the next, for example, um, uh, Jira said, uh, I've been an avid next fan since I first saw them perform at, at a big years festival in 2010. They subsequently played with swans at a few shows in Australia. Um, and he, he says, I'm beyond honored and humbled that they agreed to perform the basic tracks for two of my songs. Um, their performances were then delicately and I hope tastefully further orchestrated upon, uh, in Berlin. Tony lives in Berlin and also plays drums on the song. Some new things. Um, and he, yeah, he goes into a little bit for each member. Uh, we're running out of time, so we can't go into each one. But uh, also, yeah, I forgot Larry Mullen's also a resident, alleged, alleged resident. <laughs> um, although I think the names of the members have been released by this point. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know too much about. The- uh, I've only heard one residents album, and it was very good. <laughs> They're a wild fucking band. But do I remember the name of the album? Of course, I do not. Uh, but. Yeah, this uh, a new step, great fucking album, gentle, pretty, angelic, very inviting. You probably wouldn't be embarrassed or afraid to put this on in front of company for the most part. Some songs, sure, but I don't think I'm putting any swans on except for like you and Dylan. I will do it in front of any, anybody, everybody. <laughs> they have to accept me as I am, not for who they want me to be. Uh, but we have one more and this is exclusive for us. Uh, maybe not you because the album is out by the time you're seeing this, but go listen to it now. Uh, brand new album just came out uh, and we have plenty more to talk about. Are you ready? I am ready. It's been a long, lengthy journey. This is, uh, I, I believe, the longest episode we've done. Uh, probably the longest episode we've done. Yes. Uh, here it is, everybody. 2023's The Beggar. Fucking good. Fucking amazing. I wish. I hope someone puts this in a horror movie. I know. It sounds. It feels so good for it. Oh, fuck. I forgot to read stuff. Righteous, pure, and sour with death. Also, would f- no a low part of like a western. Yeah, no it does have a a sense of western to it, but it's much more cold and if dying. If you wear a cowboy hat as much as Michael does, that's true. You should have some it's western. Gonna seep, it's gonna seep in. Yeah. All information is equally true. Feed on me, feed on me, feed on me now. Feed on me, feed on me, feed on me now. 
so goddamn we're running out of time uh dude fucking god we, we damn can, we can take our time we can take our time now but uh we're not as close to the end as we were a fucking minute ago uh holy shit we i didn't realize it was gonna take this long but i did you did you're you're a smart I, man i knew in my soul yeah i didn't expect the first three albums to take two hours ah! but <laughs> this um i'm endlessly grateful to have gotten it um to, to hear it at all <laughs> before like the uh, masses because this is a uh i would say on the surface really pretty and inviting but a very difficult difficult album to digest there is a, so much here i mean there is nuance for days it's it is very interesting how there does seem to be like a foundation of swans where it's like you you know it's them but then this is like even different than the last album yeah because i was expecting i mean i tend to these days i've learned better than to to go and expecting too much Mm -hmm. but while it does have more in common with the leaving meaning than it does any of the other albums before it this one definitely has the most in common with the 90s era than anything here uh i'd say by there, by a lot there there is a darkness here this is i'd say the the most gothy that i think they've ever sounded yeah um parasite is mine which is a single right yeah um, oh i think my favorite song on the album if i had to pick one i fucking love this song man that's hard for me to pick right now but yeah it's a great song this is a song where i'm like they're doing like 70s spy music oh interesting yeah Yeah. um and then man i when he when he sings are you ready to die just (laughs) what a funny line that's just always a funny line to me uh so aside from this being a, a little bit darker and gothier at least it seemed to me gothier, uh, a lot less form and a lot less rigid structure. I mean, they never really had a rigid structure, but even like the rhythms are very floaty for the parasite, uh, example. Um, for example, the parasite, um, as it goes on and things get, uh, things kind of rise, it's still so floaty and, and uneven. Like you're walking on sand. There's no, uh, the structure is extremely loose and, it ends up giving it a more psychedelic feel to it. Mm-hmm. Everything on here, I think is like soup along with the last album. I get the most psychedelia on this album. Um, some of these parts are really hypnotic. And again, there's not like a rigid heavy rhythm section in most of these songs. It's, um, it's crazy. Like Los Angeles city of death. Is- Best fucking song title ever. I love, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Three. Uh, it's probably more like, Detroit or whatever the current mur- murder capital is. Uh, uh, what's the Indiana? <laughs> uh, forgot. I forgot. Indianapolis. No. Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana, 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 Indiana uh, um, any, Chicago or something. Anyways. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's three minutes. Yep. But it's still very hypnotic. Yeah. Um, I got some serious uh, mid period Jarbo vibes from that song. Um, good energy and the, and the, the, so the reason I keep getting, there's a several reasons why I keep thinking of the mid period 90s stuff. Um, one, cause it feels very gothy and the songs kind of have that timbre to them, but the back of what was here, which a lot of them are done by, by Jennifer, they really 
blend they, they bleed together and they blend the way Jarboz did or they, they have mm-hmm. like the they support the songs the way Jarboz vocals did in mm-hmm. that period they, they, I kind of I just I can't help but think of it and then also the I don't want to say industrial but kind of some parts of the industrial type drumming so you get uh like Los Angeles City of Death the really pounding rhythmic uh, rigid drums. So like when there isn't any drums, it's very floaty and mm-hmm. formless. When there is drums, it's super fucking industrial. Like, yeah, especially towards the like outro of that song. Yes. Uh, um, Michael is done, which is a fucking incredible goddamn song. More like Alex is done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I love, I love the like escalating bass in that song. And then it kind of takes this unexpected turn where the guitars feel kind of light and you have bells. Yep. And it makes it sound optimistic, although I'm sure the lyrics are not. Oh, I and mean, with a title like Michael is done. Yeah. Uh, that song, White Light, All it's, that's all I hear mm. is White Light because... Um, cause it starts out with this really chilling setup. I think I might be, I think it's Michael and Jennifer singing together, I believe with these like Christmas bells kind of guiding them. And then when the drums come in, it turns super jubilant and triumphant and bright, like mm-hmm. really shiny the way white light is. And more, uh, even, even Tom pointed this out to me, um, the, the, the drums on that part where it's like, um, it ends the beat with a little, uh, little um a small snare roll mm-hmm. like that's like it's so characteristic of that mid-period like yeah that type of little uh embellishment it's like oh this is like he had to have been exposed to those albums recently <laughs> or really thinking about them or something um great fucking song and then unforming we get unforming after that which is another I mean, this has like the most happiness of any album on the, in this entire era. This whole album, I I felt like that was like sad. You felt sad from Unforming, really? Yeah, sad, dark. Um, I I do like um these like minimalistic songs that are never like lacking because some some bands when they go minimal, you're like it's missing. <laughs> Yeah, you, I I never feel that way with swans when they go minimal. It's not, not only, especially because we're always treated to something with a whole bunch of stuff right mm. after or before it. So the minimal is is almost necessary. Uh, but it, it's funny because I felt that song to be like contained happiness, hopeful almost. Um, but it has these really really nice guitar uh, acoustic guitar and piano plucks that come in uh and they really, i believe uh, seriously i i think of morning sun when i hear that song dang <laughs> you listen to two differences that's what that's how deep this shit is brother yeah uh or maybe i was like more focused on the lyrics and you were this maybe. drawn to these these instruments on here the title track is um, well, it's 10 minutes, so it's lengthy by normal song standards, but fine by us and so on standards, <laughs> dude, I fucking love, that's what I mean about like going into the, the industrial type drums. Um, when the drums come in on that song, ah, Jesus Christ. It's like, 
it, I just, I just, I can't help but think of love of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels fucking amazing. Very gothy. Very gothy. I appreciate when a song can be sleazy and dark at the same time. It is time. sleazy. It's surprisingly yeah. sleazy. Yes. Um, and then the thing that really stood out to me was like the interplay and the back and forth between like different guitar parts was, mm. was very neat. Um, felt like different for songs it that song uh bounces back between these two main sections one is with these really creepy hushed vocals um very chilling minimal section and then this big industrial four four driving section mm-hmm. um it kind of you know dances between the two uh but at, at like around eight minutes michael lets out a sound that i've never heard him fucking make i i've never it's the most pained absolute agonizing sound i've ever heard him make <laughs> and it it's so it's so strange hearing that because i mean the man has screamed a lot on these yeah. albums but that's a like a oh boy uh really moving song that's kind of always stuck in my head um no more of this is probably my maybe my least favorite no it's not my least favorite song but it is one that i'm like i don't love it it's so it's too happy for me. It's too happy for me. I like when a song title encapsulates how I I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I like I needed I needed a song like that to like release me from the like brutal insanity of the band. I really I really like the the placement of that on this album. It is very hopeful. It brings back the hope. It's the I'd say I'd say that song is like the happiest thing since something on the off the burning world or something mm-hmm. it's that happy um hopeful maybe not happy um around four and a half minutes in this big giant female choir vocals come in with these with these really strong hits super majestic really giant sounds uh it's like there's there's still pain in these songs but just in a very uh delicate way it's not <laughs> quite as stabby sure <laughs> uh ebbing um, I feel like a little bit more whimsical, almost like fantasy like sounds on there. Yeah, it it kind of starts off menace, menacing, but then yeah, it goes into the the again, more like angels of light yeah. territory. Um I love how big the vocals sound when the Yes. And this like uh this is a really cheesy metaphor, but I love the like wall of sound like you can kind of hear it getting filled in like brick by brick. Oh yeah, the the where Michael's backed by these female vocals. Uh it definitely reminds me of the Jarbo stuff, but it, it also gives everything um a very unassuming, non-threatening kind of it's it's like it's the song is coming at you with a peace offering instead of <laughs> instead of like threatening you. Uh and then around four minutes fifty, because it's a, it's like eleven minute song. Uh, around four fifty, drums come in with this really satisfying six eight beat. Uh, very cathartic. I like the way that way that one builds up. Uh, why can't I have what I want anytime that I want? Man, that song fucking rules. Fucking rules. Um, it's like evil middle eastern sounding yep. riffs yeah but you have like the sinister lyrics to help bolster it i love the way the the tom drums sound on it yeah the fucking spectacular backup vocals and bass here too i think they have a feel entirely um of their own uh and the drums in there are uh almost have like a gypsy vibe to them mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it yeah it reminds me of one song of the burning world that i can't remember 
Exactly. Um, but there's there's one like really minor key song that's burning well with, with really interesting percussion. Um, and it, yeah, I was surprised at how much of this reminded me of The Burning World. Like, yeah. Like if The Burning World was not so produced mm-hmm. and it was a little bit more gritty. Like this is this is probably like more what he had in mind or like or like um what the natural progression was okay because i think at the time he was just like uh i don't know what i want but i'm gonna follow this guy and see and and work Mm -hmm. with him and see if um i mean i still like the album but definitely um the songs i i heard afterward that those songs they reworked and the and the live versions of those songs are like those are the versions yeah still haven't heard them yet um i will uh then the fucking elephant in the room, the <laughs> longest song they've ever done. Get ready, everybody. 44 minutes. The Beggar Lover 3 is 44 minutes. And my notes on that song alone are, are, are a page. Yeah, basically a page. <laughs> so it's it's a full length album. This one song is a full length album. Uh, there's a lot to say about this song. So, um. oh, boy. I guess it kind of starts off like um, like when you see like an orchestra and they're like just start like is it warming up but like when they're kind of this messing around yeah and then everyone gets quiet and then they start to like tuning up and and sort of setting the stage a little bit but like really long (laughs) dude the so the the first four minutes are just atmospheric buildup. The first four minutes, which is like fine, we've done with we've dealt with plenty long. On the seer, we waited nine minutes for the song yeah. to start. It's fine, and then uh, this the um, this female spoken word comes in, which fucking is super creepy. The way it's produced, the the, the actual quality of the voice is, is very unusual and unsettling. And then it goes into this creaking like you've never heard insane creak creaking and then a cacophony of toms just like you fucking people make me sick yeah bombarded with drums so it's already like okay we're setting this up this is a a fucking expert this is not a song really this is an experimental piece this is a mm-hmm. giant experimental piece and it takes like uh 12 minutes before bass and drums come in that's what we're that's what we're dealing with here <laughs> so 12 minutes is like setting up this insanely dark uh really creepy atmospheric stuff um i would say like the most not just goth like the genre but the most gothic sounding stuff they've ever done yeah where it really does feel uh evil and creepy and, and really kind of disturbing um yes like the world is ending and then you're you're greeted with this like i guess like kind of loose psychedelic section where it's anchored by the the like percussion and stuff but i feel like the other instruments are a little more like free form definitely definitely free form a lot of it mostly reminds me of so this whole piece is like oh this is soundtracks for the blind but condensed into like one album mm-hmm. or one track that's album length uh they even have fucking uh murder sense like full-on horrifying murder sense <laughs> this is all before 12 minutes by the way yes yeah. <laughs> so it goes into all this this stuff it, uh jump like the the fucking uh spoken word stuff the the murderous toms the murder sense the fucking noisiness and atmosphere so it's like uh, so many different 
uh, unpleasant emotions out the gate, and then some music finally comes in. Yeah, I really do enjoy the like layers and textures they they add to it. Yes, uh, and when the the, the band kind of comes in, it it does get hypnotic. It sounds really good. Uh, around eighteen minutes in, the exact same uh, big section from the title track comes mm-hmm. in, but with slightly different arrangements. Uh, so. I jokingly said a, a proper drum beat comes in around there. It is proper. Uh, it is. I was a little uh, off put that it's the same exact riff as the as the title track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the context of this thing, it's like a whole different beast. I mean, it makes sense. It's, you know, the, it's, the beggar. It's the, extension the, lo- extension of the, the song. Yeah. Um, then after that section kind of dies down, um, you just get this fucking gorgeous choir of voices, um, almost Beatlesy in the melody. The melody is almost Beatlesy, mm-hmm. which is it's so strange hearing it on or hearing it after the stuff that we sat through. I was not expecting that section to end with like the THX. Oh yeah, but yeah. I know that's not what it is. And then it's like female. Like vocalization of fe- it was like, yep. Whoa, just fucking children's voices. There's strange tapping and scraping. Like again, it's all super soundtracks for the blind, but uh, way more. Uh, fo- it feels more focused and intentional. That one was a lot of like piecing things together like a puzzle. Uh, this feels a little bit more deliberate. Uh, you then after more of that creepy soundscape shit you get some uh some really chilling acoustic guitars um but it's all even though they're using they're playing notes and melodies it, it always feel it all feels so abstract um nothing at all like the other epic songs it's like mm-hmm. a, it's just not even the same league as them like and i don't mean that as in it's better or worse it's just a completely different game um Around 32 minutes in, you get a fucking whole bunch of kettle drums, uh, which transitions into this really minimal, groovy uh, drum click and bassline section. Also, that has got to be like the smoothest, most like in the pocket drum beat in the history of Swan. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Put on a little bit of that some bitch. 32 what? Uh, try 30 four <laughs> let's just okay see what happens that's what it is do you recognize this i don't well we heard it today cloud of annoying the end of Cloud of Annoying. They they tricked me into liking that song. But you liked that section. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. I had a feeling. I, I didn't put it together until just now. Yeah, it's it's the same section, uh, which, again, in the context of this, it's completely different. It, for one, uh, I think this is a maybe a, probably a better done track than the Cloud of Annoying. Yeah. Um, but... It's giving different context and different arrangements to these already kind of spectacular pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, it ends on that on that um, section. What I will say that uh, there's some like chimes bought in mm-hmm. on that section. It feels it feels so good. Again, a thing that you don't want to ever 
And it's so it's like the whole it's hard to really uh, summarize the entire track, but it's like it's still very it's it's experimental as fuck. It's a very there, adventurous piece. But there's yeah, there is a lot of like drone and it's a stuff lot that I kind of skipped over to get to the, the the meat and potatoes of the song. It's it's all it's all very exhausting, but it is still very musical. It's like a it's experimental, but it's not losing any of like the I don't know the songness of it. I don't know. It's because a lot of soundtrack for the blind was just like, oh boy, it's just a lot of noise, and you had to sit through a lot of like experimental kind of mm-hmm. soundscapes and stuff. This one feels again very cohesive, and it's it's like a, a whole full piece. It's not something you're going to put on all the time. It's it's a lot. It's forty four fucking minutes, uh, and it's not exactly song one, song two, song three. It's very much a whole thing. You have to set aside time and you fucking and let it let it wash over you it's an experience absolutely an experience and it's not the last song on the album the last song on the album is the memorious yes that's my least favorite song on the album really yeah i I, like it up to up to the first four minutes and then and then it just keeps going i kind of wish it opened this too because i i like it um it is like more in the vein of like the psychedelic stuff but after this like crazy 45 minute song yeah i'm just like i i don't feel like it's necessary yeah it's it almost has a uh like a 60s early 70s feel to it Mm -hmm. which is unusual and it's kind of like all right that's a weirdly kind of rocking following this epic uh but then it has like these baby cries in there that's like okay you still have to make it creepy and weird yeah uh with like some monotone spoken word uh, vocals over over top of it um and the, the main thing i don't like about it is that uh there really isn't any kick to it like the, it sounds like the kick drum is muted or not there at all mm. like there's very little punch to it and at eight and a half minutes it actually doesn't build up it just kind of repeats the way some of the, a lot of the songs on the last album did uh so i i don't i don't love it uh as a closer but the, this is a this is a tough album that is gorgeous and deep and heart-wrenching but fuck also it's it's fucked up it's a fucked up album (laughs) also i don't know if these notes are correct uh it says the beggar lover 3 is excluded from the vinyl release so i'm sure there's financial reasons you can only press so much vinyl yeah maybe they don't want to chop it in half in the middle but uh yeah because a lot of the other ones you had to chop the songs in half yeah that's yeah. I don't feel like that's the full experience of the album. If you if you get if you get the vinyl one after you know you finish, why can't I have what I want? Yeah, go out of your way, listen to the beggar. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a fucking part of the album. It's, yeah, it's an intense experience. Um, there's um some stuff that I forgot to mention on the last album, like uh Dana Schechter, who was a uh, previously uh, Angel's Angel Light member, um. She was on that album and she's on this one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also skipped the another extract from, from Michael's journal, uh, which I like this quote because it's uh, again, it's a, it's a nice little insight into like things that might be a reality. The further we get with technology, <laughs> uh, he says, 
I wonder how much space in a computer it would take up to download the entire contents of my consciousness. Is it really just information? Could it be translated in ones and zeros? Some people seem to think so, but I find the notion preposterous and in some essential way blasphemous. How much information, quote unquote, is involved in a single episode of Night Terrors, for instance? How could this possibly be quantified? And moreover, why the fuck should it be? Why is it that somehow considered a good idea? I think that as always, people want certainty, but certainty itself is the killer of possibility. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, idea of trying to capture um, someone's essence in a computer is like horrifying to me. I don't like that. I don't like that. Uh, that I love that line that the certainty itself is a killer of possibility because it, it's it is. Um, I forgot where I recently heard it, but the as soon as you're guaranteed something, you no longer want it. I think what I heard it. In uh, in reference to like dating, okay, where uh, if you're trying to like uh, date and trying to get someone or whatever, uh, but you're already guaranteed that you're going to get them, then you suddenly don't care as much and you suddenly don't want to as much. I fucking I get it, but I also fucking hate it. Oh yeah, it's I fucking. I think it's really dumb, but. It's just, it's just an, I don't even think it's this nature of relationship. I think it's just the nature of, of human beings. Like if you were a, if you were to know your future exactly, mm. would you be excited about your future? Probably not. That's like, that's what I mean. Like the certainty itself is a killer of possibility. I think that's, I love not knowing shit. I love not knowing what's happening next because it, then it could be anything. Mm. Oh, and I could not be poor forever. <laughs> uh, but for this one, uh, yeah, the, all the backing vocals are done by Jennifer, uh, Lucy Kruger, and Laura Carbone. Uh, and on here, we got Michael, we got Kristoff, of course, Larry, Larry Mullins, uh, Dana, Dana's uh, playing bass and lap steel, uh, as well as keyboards, uh, some vocals and piano. Uh, we got Chris again, and, uh, and Phil. We got Chris and Phil back on bass and drums. Nice. Very nice. As well as Ben Frost, which means this is the first album to not have Norman at all. That is insane. That makes me sad. I don't yeah. like that. I love Norman so much. Yeah. I love him as a part of it, but no Norman here. Uh, this album was partly funded, of course, by uh, the acoustic demo album, Is There Really a Mind? Which was uh, 2,500 copies of that one. I remember when he put out the, the call for that one, mm -hmm. and I believe it sold out very quickly. Um, but this is uh, from Michael's interview with Tom. And... Uh, he references, he's talking about the beggar lever three here. He says the title of the beggar lever three is an awkward reference to the album I did in the late nineties called the body lovers. Number one of three somewhere along the line. I think I made a piece that could be considered number two. And this recent thing is three, but in, in, in any event, I want to go into this way of working with sound again. It's really just taking previously recorded elements from Swan's music, new recordings made specifically for the piece and found quote unquote non-musical sounds I recorded around the house or in my daily life, putting them all in one place and then diving in and trying to forge a soundscape that is dynamic, moves forward and has psychological friction and resonance. Chance and serendipi serendipity are also a big factor. There's one section, uh, there were elements from two different Swans pieces recorded years apart, including my vocal are working together quite well. I think it just takes a certain overconfidence uh, that I can make something compelling and hopefully meaningful happen by forcing random elements to a shape that makes sense. Also, it helps to have a stellar engineer to work with Ingo Kraus at Candy Bomber studio in Berlin. Um, so that explains a lot of what that fucking song is. Yeah, it's really, it really is like another soundtrack for the blind, just more, 
I feel a lot more developed and mature and easier to digest. Uh, it doesn't have, of course, some of like the crazy long songs that that album did. But in terms of like the the experimental side of that album, I like this song much more. Um, and if they're if you're going to put them in this similar category. Uh, but that's basically it. They're currently on tour. Uh, they, uh, Tom saw them on their first date of the mm-hmm. tour in Leipzig, Germany. And, uh, he says right here, uh, they'll be heading to the USA and finishing back in Berlin in November. Having seen them on the first date of the tour, how could I refuse the symmetry of seeing them on their final tour date? Cause <laughs> Tom is based in Berlin. Uh, and I have to see them on this tour. They're playing in September in LA, I might be in Berlin when they're there, when they're here, which is stupid. That is stupid. It is very stupid. So I might, I haven't, I haven't figured out the logistics, but there's a chance I could see them in Hamburg um, mm-hmm. when they're there, but we'll see. Cause otherwise I'm fucking flying back to see swans. I mean, I, oh, I, I have to, I have to, I have to. Um, but uh, Tom says right here, um, he says, when I interviewed Michael Jura a few months ago, I was given strict instructions that I could ask 10 questions. With my last question, I was dangerously close to being overly familiar, but his answer was so great that I'm glad I asked it. And I want to end the episode on this quote because it's so fucking phenomenal. It is exactly what this band is and what Michael Jura is. So Tom said, there seems to be a sense of almost cosmic peace on the beggar, or at least acceptance, which feels new. How do you feel? And Michael says, how do I feel? Ask anyone that knows me intimately and they'll tell you that's not a fair question. But really, I'm just as stupefied and awestruck by the raw fact of existence as ever. That's how I feel. As if I've just been punched in the face a split second ago and it doesn't hurt yet. Man. Mic drop. Holy shit, dude. Holy shit. <laughs> that, that line fucked me up, dude. <laughs> oh god i love this album and this band and this guy oh shit we did it we did it we fucking god damn dude intense i man yeah i love doing this i feel like my soul is enriched and dirty and uh but i i really hope people enjoyed all three of these episodes i do as well please i mean these these are my favorite episodes to do uh very few bands in the world are as as important to me as swans so go check those out uh this was fucking delight i'm so grateful that from the first episode we ended up with so much so much more insight by the last episode yeah the actual hands-on interview with with michael fucking being able to get the album early so we can actually listen to it properly uh endlessly grateful this is fucking rad dude this pod rules dude it is a surreal experience fuck yes so thank you so much for listening and watching and hanging out and being a swans fan also because why else would you sit through over three hours of people talking about a band you don't like uh let's do a little recap for me uh best personal favorite to be kind um but all these albums are amazing and then uh least worse the glowing man just kind of inconsistent for me but check it out for me my father will guide me up a rope to the sky personal favorite i think the best reunion album ever made uh, a nice digestible uh packaging of what this era of swans kind of does uh the seer best 
truly, truly a one of a kind fucking album, a journey, a story, a whole book in an album format. God damn. And an album with the dog's butthole on it. The most, most importantly, most importantly, uh, and the glowing man, Worsley's favorite, uh, great album, but not as, uh, you feel them at the end of the rope. Um, when you compare it to, to the, the previous two, uh, but check out all of them. They're all fucking phenomenal. Check out the beggar, uh, of course, which just came out, support it for the love of God, support it. This band has never not struggled, <laughs> struggled, fucking Give them your money. Buy the album. Please, for the love of Christ. It's very good. Okay. Okay. Now, now we're done with that. Thank you so much for listening and watching and hanging out. And you, of course, like the video. Leave, you know, leave comments. Talk some shit. Do that. Follow me on all social media at Panda Monkey and Alex on Instagram at Every Album Alex. Please, please support our history guy, Tom Osmond, who's done so much for us. Tom Osmond Sounds uh, at all, on all social media as well as TomOsmondSounds.com for all his music. Um, and his album is so much for all in day's work and industrial state of mind. Uh, links to all of that in the description. Uh, in addition to his Substack, tomosman.substack.com. He's a hard worker and he's fucking a smooth talker. The man just figures out ways to get shit done. It's extremely impressive. Uh, and my WP pander monkey, which actually uh, is uh, one year old tomorrow as of the release of this video. So, listen to that there's a link to that in the description uh and i cannot forget patreon.com slash every album ever please, please. for the love of god <laughs> we're dying here <laughs> bonus episodes you get to see our schedule in advance vote on polls to decide who we cover next you get to join our discord and suggest our eae singles episodes if you're tier two you can suggest a full ass discography Preferably not, not one as lengthy as Swans. Uh, we picked this one. We, we did this to ourselves. Yes. And we also split it up uh, over the course of like 30 weeks. So maybe even a whole year. Almost a whole year. Yeah. We took a long time to finish this one. Are, are we four or five years old now? Almost not quite. In a, in a couple months, we'll be four years old. Okay. Uh, but don't go there. Do that. Thank you, please. And to close things out. Uh, I I don't want to end it with a, a a giant epic. There's there's no way around it. There's no way around it. Like you just have to. Here's the thing. There is a way around it. Okay. That I feel, and it's not even just like I don't want to put on a long song. So I'm going to put on this one who's that's also good. Okay. But it's one that I love. Okay. We're ending it with Jim, baby. Okay. You don't seem very excited, but it's okay. I'm excited. No, I remember Jim. <laughs> I had to think about where Jim was, but I'm, no. That is the first yes. one. Okay. Hell yeah. So thank you so much for listening and watching. See ya. I'm ready when you guys is. Roll it, Jason.
Two hundred miles to the place. 